0: hold and give and do at the right time and the right time is now as i'm fresh and squeaky clean out the shower to ponder and ask the question just how the greatest scottish football team since the 1970s didn't manage a single shot on target against boring boring england in the entirety of the 90 minutes last night i am ross tweddle From the Hold and Give Football YouTube thingy, also joined by, as always, Jack Atkins, who sounds professional as he did last week for the first time ever.
1: Yes, and like we said last week, despite having a nice new professional mic, it's still going to be a slapdash affair from yours, truly.
0: How so? You've been getting compliments left, right, and centre. Sum up the arse, in the arse, coming out the arse. I was meant to say coming out the ears, but that didn't come out right. He's got a brew in hand. Why? Why are you being so uh, self-deprecating on this wonderful Wednesday morning?
1: Because if I came out and said, "Yeah, I'm the bollocks," me, I'm just leaving myself wide open, aren't I?
0: But isn't that part of being Scouse, though? <laughs> um, um... he <laughs> can be quite self-deprecating, I'd say. <laughs> Right, then as always on the Hooling Game Football Podcast, after these lovely pleasantries are out the way, we kick things off with a bang. It's Clive F's On This Day. He piece freely what happened on this day in football history.
1: There's, there's a couple of bits, as usual. I will give you the, the three best from On This Day, but also it was a struggle getting three for On This Day. Uh, it's September the 13th, but in 1997... Ian Wright broke Arsenal's all-time goal-scoring record, bagging a hat-trick against Bolton, revealing a tee that said 179, just did it. Uh, Wright ended the game on 180 goals, breaking Cliff Baston's record, which had stood since 1946.
0: Wow, Cliff Baston. That's a great name. That's in the same school as Clive F., that, isn't it? (laughs) It, it,
1: it, it, It's a proper, yeah, 1940s football player's name. Oh, Snodgrass over to Wilkins, and uh, Cliff Baston always put it in the net.
0: I was going to say, though, didn't Ian Wright reveal the T-shirt a goal early?
1: He, he did after his first goal where he tied the record at 178. Then his second goal, he got, took it to 179 and then got a hat-trick anyway. So it was, you know, removed all doubt.
0: I love Ian Wright, mate. Do you love Ian Wright?
1: I love Ian Wright.
0: Oh, I love everything you, about Ian Wright.
1: Do you remember when he had a chat show in the 90s?
0: vaguely very very vaguely i remember his appearance on top gear and i think it got referenced on there and then that caused me a bit later on in, f- in a few years time to go and have a look at it because his it, appearance on top gear was about him just being as you would expect ian Wright to be behind the wheel of a car and that is excitable <laughs>
1: <laughs> well i always i always enjoyed him as a player he seems like a decent fella he has a great eye for a really nice outfit um he. He's one of the reasons why I really want a gold tooth as well.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is he still still rocking it these days? I know it was very much a thing when he was just sort of after retirement, I guess, those sort of years.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm not too sure if he does anymore. Because whenever anyone sees him right now, it's that clip of him taking off his hat and singing his teacher, which still brings a tear to my eye.
0: Oh, big time! It's the symbolism of the thing. It's just because he stood, the, he stood the row or two below, so he stood looking up like he would have been when he was a child at Mr. Oh bollocks, I forgot the name. Pigton. Yeah, Mr. Pigton. I thought you was dead. Oh, oh, what it's a wonderful. Guy. But it showed the guy with well, the way he takes his hat off straight away. It's the respect. Oh, Ian Wright's fantastic. Anyway, anything else that happened on this day when we pee the freely yeah. into the winds?
1: So, someone who you'll also think is fantastic. So in 2004, Newcastle United announced announced that Graham Souness would take over as manager.
0: I'll never forget this day. I'll never forget this day as long as I live because my math teacher at Chantry Middle School in Morpeth, um, I've forgotten his name, Mr Morton, He was like a kind of he was from the northeast. No, it wasn't Mr. Morton. It was the head teacher, Mr. Mitchell. He was out patrolling the uh, yeah the school playground at lunchtime. I think I was in year seven at this point. And he came over and he was like, Ross You'll never guess who the new Newcastle manager is, and I was like, "Who?" Because I was remember back then I was fully on board about the concept of Martin O'Neill being the Newcastle manager. You know when he was at Celtic doing good mm. bits, they're like getting the European finals. I was like, "Yeah, we'll get Henrik Larsson St James's Park. Everything will be fine." Can I just say, the portrait behind you makes you look a bit like Jason Lee. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <I'm> t- <laughs> A wonderful, wonderful bit of hair on top of your head there, finally. But uh, anyway, he came up, he was like, you never believe who the new Newcastle manager is. And I was like, nah, who is it? And he was like, it's Graham Sooness, You've taken him from my Blackburn Rovers. And I was desolate. I could not believe my look. What a... It, it, it's not that obviously we know the reasons why it was brought in was to sort out the, 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 the what they call themselves, Jermaine Genius and Titus Brambles and Dyers, the Brat Pack or something like that, used to call themselves back the day because he used to go out on a Tuesday night in tup tup, in tup tup in Newcastle. It was to sort them out. But in terms of oh my god, it's another Liverpool legend coming into Newcastle and undoing the good work of a good man and setting the club back 10 to 15 years. It's a second example in a, in a few years there after Kenny Daglish did the same to Kevin Keegan's team.
1: But you say this well, Kevin Keegan, of course, was you know a former Liverpool great himself. Um, Graham Souness also did that at Liverpool uh, when he took <laughs> over as manager. He was all right for a bit, gave an interview to the paper we don't mention. Everyone went mm, Graham you tit, and yeah, set us back a good few years anyway. He
0: regrets but, it though, didn't he? He said he regretted it in a very, fairly recent interview. He did he did on Sky, I think.
1: Yeah. Um, obviously, when when he gave that interview was before I was. You know, conscious uh, conscious of everything going on, and looking back on it, it's a terrible look. And there are people who were uh, obviously engaged in football and engaged in Hillsborough and the politics of Liverpool and everything at the time who, who haven't forgiven him. And you know, f- f- fair dues to them.
0: I mean, if there's one thing you're not going to do in Liverpool, it's exactly what he did.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Anyway, he's, he's a tosser. Also, people still do it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's, I've, I've not got a single good word to say about Graham soonest to be honest with you. <laughs> I think he's horrible. <laughs>
1: yeah, he did recently when he swam the channel.
0: He did, that was very, very good. Obviously, the, the, the charity he was raising money for was a worthwhile cause when you see the coverage. I think he did an interview on, uh, was a BBC Morning News Breakfast? Uh, it was mm. just a, that pulled at the heartstrings as well. Um, but yeah, he was a, a bad football manager. And I think it speaks volumes that he didn't get another job after he left Newcastle. He took us back that far. I think Crystal Palace tried to appoint him. Uh, maybe when Simon Jordan was chairman, I think I've seen them reference that. But apart from that, didn't really feel like he got back into football at all in terms of in the game, not just being a pundit.
1: Yeah, because he left Newcastle, according to my notes, February 2006. And yeah, no more, no more uh, clubs he was in charge of.
0: Do you know what happened when he left in February 2006?
1: Did he go back to Turkey and plant that flag in the middle of uh, Fenerbahce's pitch again?
0: I reckon he did that in the back garden by himself with his wife going, yeah, go on, Graham, you're such a manly man, yeah, go on, Graham, you sad prick. Um, but what happened was Glenn Roder and Alan Shearer, the tag team tandem, the Hardy Boys took over and they lifted Newcastle from about 15th or 16th in the league where we were when he left and we qualified for the Intertoto Cup, finished 7th. In, from February <laughs> to May. And, what, and we won the, that's, that's where the picture of Scott Parker holding the Intertoto plaque with a face like a slapdash came from. The season before that, Glenn Roder and Alan Shearer turned things around. That's how bad Graham Soones was. Glenn Rhoda, God rest his soul, a fantastic man by all accounts, but he wasn't a very good football manager, was he? Um, he turned it around and for, 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 um, doing all of uh, Graham Soones' terrible work.
1: I wonder if it was a the case then, and this isn't taking anything away from Gre- Glenn Roder, but if Soones had Shearer with him? Do you reckon the players would have played more for him or do you still reckon it would have been just tepid football?
0: He had Shearer playing for him. It was Shearer's last season. but Shearer, oh God, I, yeah. yeah Shearer, 2005. Yeah, Shearer was playing under the, the, the sort of first few weeks of uh, Glenn Roder's tenure. But then that was that game away to Sunderland. We beat them 4-1. And I think it was Julio Arca tackled Shearer and he did his knee in again and that was it. He was done. He was finished. Mm. Finito. But I think he was sort of like a player-coach role. So I don't know. You assume Shearer would be doing that anyway, wouldn't you? The captain of Newcastle at the time.
1: But if he if he starts grumbling, everyone's going to listen to him, and if he starts cheering, everyone's going to listen to him, isn't he? So yeah. we'll never know. We'll one never thing know. we, one thing we do know though, Ross, is that on September the thirteenth, twenty seventeen, uh, Marco Asensio missed Real Madrid's first Champions League game of the season after shaving his legs and getting an infection.
0: Is that a thing you can do?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't recall this happening. Um, twenty seventeen was a chaotic year for me, so I just. Can't remember anything about it. Um, to the surprise of no one, but yeah, shaved his legs, <laughs> got an infection, had a big boil, and couldn't pull up his socks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Buy bigger socks, and that's what I would say. <laughs> I <know. laughs> that's he- unbelievable, that though, because you know, been getting into the tattoo game recently. I have, and they've all been on my legs. I'm now trepidatious about getting the old, the old dry leg shave before a tattoo now. Really. Yeah, you would be fine. After hearing this this news about Marco Asensio.
1: Don't worry, it'll be all right.
0: That's what everybody says now. Everything goes wrong, doesn't it? Every single time.
1: Yeah, I had a tattoo the other day and I'm all right.
0: What did you get? Oh, you got a big snake, didn't you?
1: I got a big snake on my left arm. I've nearly, nearly finished my my left sleeve. So it it, it didn't tickle on the wrist, but the rest of it was fine.
0: Fantastic. What does it mean, though? (laughs) Because your snake is like chopped up, isn't it?
1: Well, yeah, I just want to, so I've got to that point now where at first I was like, right, I want tattoos that mean stuff to me. Like I've got, you know, some of my favorite musical artists and some cinema stuff alike. like. And now I'm just like, well, a snake chopped into bits, that's kind of metal. <laughs> so I'm just like, <laughs>
0: I'll have that. <laughs> I'm already reaching that point, me. I'm booked in a game for another one soon. I can't wait. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm I'm in again on Saturday and then that's me giving it a knock on the head until about spring because I am skint and it's birthday and Christmas season coming up. So I've got to be sensible now.
0: Yeah, priorities. And speaking of priorities, I don't know what sort of segue that was, Ross Twaddle, but we have Gareth Southgate in England, and his priority always seems to be picking Jordan Henderson and Harry Maguire, no matter what is going on in the world of football. Obviously, those two selections were always going to rile people up this time because Harry Maguire hasn't really played too much football for Manchester United over the past 12 months since Eric Ten Hag just made it very clear, I don't like you. And obviously, Jordan Henderson has now gone to Saudi Arabia, therefore announcing his retirement from top-level football. And I'm of the opinion, if you're not playing top-level football, you shouldn't be available for selection for your international side.
1: Yeah, I agree with that 100%. When I saw the news that Henderson was called up, I was like, actually, I was like, really? Has this actually happened? I, I was... Flabbergasted, well, I think I'll say, Ross.
0: You know, I would, I would accept. Remember when David Beckham went to the World Cup in twenty ten as sort of like Capello's? I don't even know what the role was, but he was on the bench next to Capello. was wasn't, he? wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. I'd accept that for Joe Anderson because I can see the value of having him in and around the squad, like being a leader, you know, barking orders that sort of thing. But hmm. to p- to first of all pick him and then put him in the starting eleven as well as Harry Maguire away, it well in Poland against Ukraine at the weekend there, and then putting on a sort of drab display was just Gary Southgate lining up three massive sticks, the Henderson stick, the Maguire stick, and the and football stick, and just saying, yes, come on, daddies collective England fan base beat me on the arse with all those sticks at the same time I love the pain it was very weird from Gareth Southgate because when you look at on the surface of things obviously it was such an emotion I don't know if you saw the game but it was such like an emotional occasion for the Ukrainians to sort of play football again like, yeah one of the, the big footballing powerhouses if you want in international football kind of I guess over the last five years especially I'm gonna stick to that yeah we are one of the football powerhouses over the past five years so take that one we are so it was like a a big emotional occasion obviously the the tears in the eyes all that sort of stuff and i thought if you look at the result it's a decent point on the road i think certain teams were caved in that sort of atmosphere because it was very very loud indeed um but just the brand of football again is what people have been beating gareth southgate with for the longest i would say because we've got we know how talented this england squad is especially going forwards Uh, to be honest with you, I, I sort of understand the Maguire pick because he's never let England down. We don't have too many centre halves who are just gonna like who are headed shoulders. Above Harry Maguire, we've got the likes of Carl Will. I think Tomori's the one who's been hardest done by I think if we if he was picked on just sort of performances over the past twelve to eighteen months, I'd be picking Tamori over Maguire and the first choice starting like centre back pairing would be Tamori and Stones. But he doesn't want to do that for some reason. Tomori's in the squad this time, but didn't get a sniff. It's very, very strange, but I can see why he does pick Maguire. But it's the boring football. It's the it's the shackles being put on that front six of sort of Rice. On Saturday it was Henderson, uh, Bellingham, Rashford, Kane, and whoever else is up front there. It's the shackles being put on them, which is the biggest stick he's getting beat with. And it just that performance on Saturday that fed into that even more, and the selection of Henderson and Hen- and Maguire made it even worse. So what was your sort of? an outsider looking in from the People's Republic of Liverpool of the entire England sort of fallout from the weekend there.
1: Well, it, it won't surprise you Ross to, um, to hear that I didn't watch any of the international stuff. I'm just not an internationals guy. If, if it's, this almost sounds fair weather, but if it's, you know, if it's the world cup, I'll, I'll tune in. But um, just hearing it, hearing the fallout, it's not like this was, like you said, there's an embarrassment of riches. There's a, to not use the term golden generation, there is potentially a golden generation here. But it's not like back in the day when you had the headache of, oh, can we get Gerard and Lampard to play together? He's picking, what, a 34-year-old retired Jordan Henderson <laughs> to start? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Do you think, because I know you've been a critic of Southgate, do you think if he hadn't done as well as he had in the previous tournament, obviously he's him and the team have achieved very great things. They've gone very far. Say, instead of making semis, if they only got to quarters, instead of making, you know, if if they did a par for an England manager, do you think he'd be out of a job already?
0: No. No. I think the work Gareth Southgate done, if you look at everything that goes into being an England manager and everything that surrounds the England football team, like the... I don't want to bring it up because it sounds like a bit of a cop-out thing, but the relationship with the media, they're getting the fans back on side because I was going, I went to England games. I was traveling all around Europe for those two years, 2014 to 2016 that culminated under with that horrible defeat to Iceland in the Euros. I was there for those games and that was horrible, turgid football. We can't get any worse than that. Now we find ourselves in the position where Gareth, who's been there at international level, I think he's got like 40-odd caps, something like that for mm-hmm. England. He's been there and done it. He knows the setup. He knows what works for players. And him implementing what he knew from his playing career on the current squad, it's made the national setup that just everything that goes in to being an England fan and an England player a lot better it seems just on service level looking in everything that goes into being either a fan or a player has been improved by Gareth Southgate it's when we get instances like France in the World Cup where Rashford was on the bench and we're getting beat 2-1 and we need a goal. Yes, we missed a penalty. If that goes in, it could be a different story. But we needed a goal and he waited and he waited and he waited and he was more concerned about not conceding another rather than going for it in a knockout competition. It's those examples that let Gareth Southgate down. So I think the the work he's done has been fantastic. I think if he got to a quarter, I think, because again, on top of that, there's no real outstanding Canada, is there, 4 a replacement for garris southgate like eddie howe maybe he is the top one but would he would he leave newcastle i don't know you'd have to ask him what his uh, his preferences are i'm sure the saudis would give him another zero or two on the end of his contract to make him stay as things are are going at the moment um but i think i know i don't think he would have lost his job and i don't think it would have been right for him to lose his job either i just think he needs to just live a little look at roy <laughs> look at roy hodgson at 76 years of age playing prime barcelona 2011 football in the premier league now at crystal palace he's let his hair down he's fighting people a third of his age on the touchline have a little bit of fun gareth southgate play foden and central midfield play rashford on the wing play Saka on the wing get bloody forward let's go
1: tell you what he needs <laughs> he needs jason tyndall
0: he bloody does that safe <laughs> pair of hands to take all the attention away from him—that's exactly what Gareth Southgate needs. That's what Harry Maguire needs. <laughs> Play Jason Not- Tindall at centre half for Harry Maguire, and all the attention will be on Tindall. The Mad Dog will eat it up. That's his nickname, by the way, the Mad Dog.
1: You were saying about there's no candidates. Surely Graham Potter would be in the frame.
0: You would have thought so before Chelsea, but now I thought I saw he got offered the uh, the Leon job this week, mm-hmm. um, which he turned he- down. Kind of, I, don't, you- I don't. I don't. Again, he might. Obviously, being out of a job, I guess he is the outstanding candidate now, but it feels like everything's sour on Graham Potter, which is incredibly strange how football works (laughs) like that, isn't it?
1: It... I don't, I don't want to pretend that I'm some kind of know it all about football, but as soon as he was uh, revealed as Chelsea manager, I thought, oh, I don't think this is going to work. I think it's too much of a leap.
0: God, they had me hook, line, and sinker, because I thought, oh, yeah, the. Eight, the, the I forgot how long the contract was, but the amount of money they paid for him, the long contract he got, the sort of like the, 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 the term project being used by uh, Todd Bowley and whoever else is uh, one of the high ups at Chelsea. I thought we're on for a few years at Potter. Potter ball mm-hmm. at Chelsea, but no, it didn't prove to be. But. We go from Ukraine in Poland on Saturday. It's a point away from home. We're still going to qualify for the competition, which is what the goal was before the game. We didn't get sort of set back in that sort of like aim, that ambition. So it was fine. I thought the, the fallout from that game was a bit too over the top, to be honest with you. But we go on to his comments about Phil Foden. Uh, We might as well reveal my twat of the week. We'll go on to Jack Atkins' twat of the week in the twat of the week segment. But my twat of the week (laughs) this week is Gareth Southgate when he was asked about Phil Foden's desire to play more centrally. He said, this is Gareth Southgate's words, about Phil Foden wanting to play more centrally both for Manchester City and England. He doesn't play centrally. Well, we've got that in brackets because he doesn't overtly say that. He doesn't play centrally for his club, so presumably there's a reason for that. He said... (laughs) He then said you have to ask Pep Guardiola why he doesn't play him centrally. And you sat there thinking, Gareth, Harry Maguire doesn't play at all, yet he plays every game for you. Jordan Henderson's retired, yet he plays for you. The team got announced for the Scotland game yesterday. Kieran Trippier hasn't played left back once for Newcastle United since he signed for them. Obviously, he has done in it for previous teams like Spurs and Atletico. He has done it there, but he's not played it once for Newcastle, but you started him there. But there must be a reason for him not playing left back Freddie Howe, but you started him, so why can't Phil Ford start start there? One of the most talented players we have. A player that wouldn't have been this this is gonna sound strange. A player who wouldn't have existed before we sort of started that St George's Park thing and small sided games for the Kings that is going to Eleven aside too early. He wouldn't have existed in that like that um grassroots, you know, journey up through the game. Uh, back in the yeah. day. It, it's a luxury player that we have. He should be building the team around players like Phil Foden. If him to say that was a load of ballocks, and they went and played him century last night anyway. It was weird. <laughs>
1: it's just the way he's there, it's like, oh, well, you have to, uh, you'll have to ask Pep why he doesn't play century. He's like, hang on. He's talking about Phil Foden who's part of what is arguably the best team team on the planet right now? Yeah, Come it's not as if,
0: yeah we, we've said like, oh, what's Phil Foden got to do to get a proper starting place for Manchester City but yeah. in the absence of De Bruyne obviously Gundogan leaving as well, he's proven that he's earning it and he's keeping it and I assume when De Bruyne gets back it's going to be quite a difficult choice for Pep to make if he's going to keep Foden where he is or I know, I know that obviously De Bruyne's now I think he's 32 isn't he? And obviously the mm. injuries are mounting up now so maybe the decision has been made for him because of that but on form, Phil's doing the doing the business, isn't he?
1: It, it, it should always be that way. Like you were saying before, you should be picked on form rather than legacy. It's what my dad always said about um, the, the Liverpool teams of the 60s, 70s and 80s. You're in the team until you weren't, basically. The second you slip up or you lose your place to injury, you're not guaranteed it back when you return. Yeah. It's time for someone else to step up. And if they take it, they make it theirs.
0: Yeah. And I can, see, again, I can see it from both sides. I can see that argument obviously picking players on form, like I was saying earlier about Tomori doing stuff in the Champions League semi-final for AC Milan. He's been a stalwart, you would say. I love that word, stalwart. I once got described in the local newspaper as a stalwart and I never felt prouder. <laughs> when I was what have you fi- done? When I was about 15, just the match report in the local paper for FC Mortworth. Stalwart at the back tweddle. Marsha in the back line. Um... But yeah, he's been a stalwart for AC Milan, so he has Tamori. But to see him not get in there, in place of Maguire, who again, I can see it from Gareth's point of view, just for Maguire. Like, Henderson's a different thing now. But Maguire, every single time he plays for England, this includes last night as well, because I thought him slowing the game down when Scotland were trying to get back in the game after he scored. It was such a shame that he scored that own goal. Like, he came on at half-time. And he put the, it was across, like, in from the right. He stuck a leg out and it's gone, passed down Ramsdale at the back of the net. It was such a shame it was Maguire because for the first sort of 10, 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes of the second half, whenever he got the ball, the Scotland fans were, like, going, hey, it's Harry Maguire, what a wanker. (laughs) Tried to put him off like that. He was just putting his foot on top of the ball and just playing the ball about. Like, England were controlling the ball really well for large parts of the second half. And most of it was starting with Maguire. So I can see he never lets us down when he plays. It's just the fact that there's that expectation there, isn't there? When you are hmm. looking at national squads being picked, that they have to be picked on form rather than who you are and what you've brought to it um, in the past. But when it comes to him, I can see why he picks him. because When he starts to let us down, that's when we need to go, right, maybe it's, you know, they're not playing at Man United, the form for England, now that it's 2 plus 2 equals 4. But now we're getting 2 plus 2, equaling 12 It's not quite adding up. I'm not making sense in my own head now, but I know what I mean.
1: Can I also commend you for that uh, pitch-perfect Scottish accent you just did there?
0: (laughs) It was really funny. Tally-ho! Oh, flowered Scotland. Um, So just more on that game last night. England put in a fantastically professional performance away at Scotland uh, yesterday. Um, A Scotland team who couldn't have come into the game in any sort of higher confidence after winning five on the bounce. They've got John Carver as their assistant manager, which is fantastic to see. But Jude Bellingham, ah, run out of words for the guy, me. The way he was frolicking, I think the word is, around that pitch last night was an absolute joke. Have you seen any highlights? Because his assist for the third goal... Where he gets the ball centrally and he's sort of like he's got players in front of him, so he's forced to take the long way around, so he comes back on himself and then back on himself again and plays this lovely ball in, in Harry Kane, who just slides in the back of the net. Bellingham at twenty years of age is the complete footballer, and I don't know where he goes from here, and it's terrifying.
1: No, I, I feel I feel a bit sick talking about Bellingham. Because um, someone pointed I was well, it's been the international break of just being you know catching up on more kind of Liverpool news that had fallen under the radar and someone pointed out that with all the stuff with you know Salah and uh, Saudi Arabia coming in for him in hindsight Real Madrid got Bellingham for a steal Yeah, and looking back on it 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 hurts even more whether Liverpool actually had a concrete chance of getting him or not he's superb I haven't seen anything from the game last night I saw it trending on Twitter slash X for the cool kids Um, and just everyone just going huh uh, Andy Robertson finally got an assist for Jude Bellingham yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's all I saw.
0: what was he doing though Jack because when you see it, you'll be shocked and appalled the ball gets to him at the back stick and he tries to play a pass he's sort of on, near the corner of his six yard box on the left hand side and England players are everywhere in the box but he tries to play this little pass across the box to another Scotland player, but he just hits it wrong and it goes straight to Bellingham. Bellingham slides it in. I think that made it 2-0 on the night. Foden got the first one, of course. A nice reaction, just sort of a hard and low coming in across the box. He puts it in, but it was just England. It was just, I think I saw, it, may, it might have been soon. I said it was the sort of like the, the boxing match where he got the big heavyweight and he's just holding off his opponent at arm's length. Like Scotland had 10 minutes in the second half where, where it was brought on by Maguire scoring that own goal and then they had sort of 10 minutes of pressure where John McGinn he could have scored a header but it came off his shoulder and went over the bar but apart from that it was very very easy for England which was nice to see because I was thinking oh if there's one team like one Scottish team over the past 20 years who's going to beat this English team it's going to be this one but it just didn't come even close to happening
1: yeah
0: yeah it was very nice to see but again I think again I was just written, written down my notes here I think the decision to bring on Maguire was wrong When there was so much scrutiny for him in a game like Scotland away, he did so well apart from his own goal. It was such a shame that happened. But you think like the reaction he was getting off the fans, the reaction he's been getting off the media, off social media over the last few days, especially the scrutiny he's been put under. He puts the ball in his own net. Could that see the man crumble? But it doesn't appear to be. Maybe he's just too dim to understand emotion. I think that's something we need to bring into account now. He's headed that many footballs is uh, is sort of like that emotional part of the brain just might be gone from. Him. Is that the <laughs> way to say it? So
1: he's it's some kind of just like robotic nihilist.
0: He's a robotic nihilist indeed. Cause how imagine being him. Cause yeah, you know, we get a little bit with YouTube comments and whatnot, and I'm a bit like, aww. Well, I didn't mean to upset you, but he gets like a million times worse than that and he's completely fine. He must be made of, well, obviously he's from Sheffield, isn't he? So he's made of steel to begin with, but he's made of emotionless steel. <laughs> he's
1: from the emotionless steel city of
0: Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> Again, obviously Tamori's on the bench, Calwell's on the bench, but he brought on Maguire at half-time, Um for Gehi, it was. who? Because uh, Lewis Dunk had, oh, what a game Lewis Dunk had, by the way. That was like a Terry Butcher game Lewis Dunk had last night. His uh, second cap in five years, I think he's made four squads. All again, this was like a second cap five years apart. He was unbelievable sticking his body in the way of everything. It was just a, there was nothing to really moan about last night.
1: So when England, you said, when they were flying, what was the midfield then that was working best?
0: It was Foden, it was Rice, it was Bellingham.
1: Yeah, makes sense. <laughs> Rice, <laughs>
0: Holden, Rice, Holden, Bellingham, frolicking everywhere. And Foden, like, well, to be fair, Foden and Bellingham were both obviously pushing on forwards and Rice was, you know, being a bit more reserved. Then we had sort of Rashford on the left, Kane on the right. And then who the hell started up, for, up front on the right? I can't remember now. England, Scotland. I have to have a look. play. He came on in the second half. Um, who the hell started the game? People are listening to this podcast going, Ross, what were you doing last night? I was watching the game of football. I can't remember who started up front on the right. Lineups. Yeah. Where are we? Off oh, well, it's got Rice. Oh, God, yeah, we had Rice and Phillips. So this is why we started. Rice and Phillips sort of holding. Then we had Foden, Bellingham, Rashford. But Rashford was definitely left. Foden and Bellingham were sort of floating behind Harry Kane. But in the second half, it went Morton with 4-3-3, uh, is what I was saying there. But I th- I think the balance, because Calv- uh, Calvin Phillips looked a bit slow on the ball, which I guess was understandable, because he barely I think, he's now, <laughs> I think I saw the stat that he's now played more games for England since he's signed for Man City than he's played for Man City. That's ridiculous. It is awful. But again, he was all right. He was a bit slow. But Bellingham and Foden last night were unreal.
1: Disgusting. Disgusting. Well, I I, I take it you're excited for the future of this England squad then? As long as everyone stays fit and keeps their form up
0: and even gets better. As long as Gareth just lets his hair down. Have a have just, you know, just take the... Just, just have a good time, Gareth. Let's just get to a tournament. We're getting beat maybe in a game. Just go for it. You know, no, reg- no regrets. Is that famous tattoo said of a fair few years ago now. No regrets, Gareth Southgate. That's the only thing that gets me about him. It's just how I can see why he sets up like that because in the Euros we had great success, like the the twenty 2020- twenty. Played in 2021 Euros. We had great success in keeping things tight for an hour and then going for it. Obviously, in the final, we scored that early goal. But by and large, getting to the final, that game against Germany was a prime example of just sitting in for the first hour and then maybe getting a little bit more expansive for the final half hour. That's where you score your goals. Um, but I just wish that when we need a goal, just go for it. it just, it's so frustrating. Like You only get one... Sh- is, is One Direction said, not One Direction, JLS said, you only get one shot to make it right and you might never get this moment again and that proved to be the case especially with france in the world cup at the, the in the winter there so jls scara southgate jls
1: well it's it's it shows it shows our wavelengths because as soon as you said no regrets i've just had no regrets by robbie williams just playing on loop in my head in the background you know who else has
0: a fantastic song called no regrets Dap, dappy dappy
1: Bollocks, did he?
0: When I was at uni, right, I remember getting in a taxi in my first week of uni because I didn't know my way around Sutherland, and the song playing on the radio was No Regret by Dappy, and it, I think it might have got a number one. It's a hell of a tune. I don't like Dappy. I think he's a weapon. He is a human tosspot, but that song is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs>
1: enough about Daffy what else have we got on the news
0: (laughs) (laughs) well we've got to speak about Gareth Southgate uh, leaping sort of going against the fan well going against everybody in the world ever uh, leaping to the fence of Harry Maguire after last night's game he said I've never known a player treated this way he's been an absolute stalwart for us in the most successful England team for decades he's been an absolutely key part of that there's no denying that about Harry Maguire I've talked about the importance of our senior players he's been crucial among that every time he goes in the field the resilience he shows is absolutely incredible He's a top player, and we're all with him. And our fans are brilliant with him. He meant that in terms of the fans inside the stadium. He also went on to say, which I have not written down there, is that sort of like he he kept on as like people in our country have made it acceptable for sort of Harry Maguire to be jaded and whatnot. You see the reaction he gets on social media every single time he makes any sort of mistake, or maybe even breathes um, the sort of reaction on English Twitter, if you want to put it that way, to Harry Maguire. From even Manchester United fans, I'm sure will admit they gave Harry Maguire pelters for not playing, but sort of like having the cavorka the that he has in his day-to-day life, it would seem. Um, so, Gareth Southgate wants again leaping to get a leap into the defence of Harry Maguire and sort of just sticking two fingers up to sort of like everyone who says anything bad against who could be his biological son, we'll learn after this interview.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, fair play. I know they swore then. Fair play to Southgate for doing that because that's what you want from Magi. You, you know, if if like you said, if, if Maguire is good for England and gives it his all... Then what more could Southgate ask for? Um, as you were saying about the way that fans come up after him, I think it's like what you've alluded to before, that is kind of confidence borders on cockiness and his decisions in the transfer window. It's, it's easy to turn on a player because of things like that. So I can see both sides of the coin on this.
0: Yeah, so I. But as long as he keeps doing the business for England, I've got no... Well, it's, it's, oh, it's weird because when the squad gets down to it, you, you just sat there going, how has he got on again? But then again, he plays a game like he did against Scotland last night. He was absolutely fine. He helped the team when he came on in the second half to calm things down. And you he he's not let us down again. Long live Harry Maguire. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> no, do you agree? Yeah, sure.
1: Have have a wonderful life, Harry Maguire. <laughs>
0: We go from England to the hosts of Euro 2024, Germany, who this week announced the sacking of Hansi Flick following their embarrassing 4-1 defeat to Japan, who, of course, were the team who knocked them out of the World Cup back in November in Qatar with a massive... Well, I say massive. It was massive in the grand scheme of things, a massive 2-1 victory. Uh, It was their fourth defeat in the last five games with the team uh, being without a win since March, uh, losing to Colombia, Poland and Belgium. Uh, Obviously, I think Hansi Flip became the first ever German manager since the post was created back in the 1920s to be sacked, which is one hell of a stat, but I guess someone had to be first. Yeah. Um, I mean...
1: Oh, go on, keep going.
0: You go, you go. I've said enough.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, like, I'm trying to think of the German squad itself, but they're coming to the end of a cycle. They're coming to the end of a generation. It was like after that great Spain team of the late naughties in the early 2010s once that came to the end of the cycle and you had a few years of just being like oh just a couple of lads there who can still do it at 34 but they were waiting for that next crop I think Germany is stuck in that at the moment and Flick obviously had big shoes to step into after everyone's favorite bollock scratcher Jurgi Love went.
0: <laughs> Loved a bollock yep. scratch the nose pick didn't he? <laughs>
1: He just didn't didn't give a crap and looked like he was in Roxy Music. So, you know, <laughs> fantastic. But, um, I'm surprised that they've never sacked anyone since they said, what, the 1920s? That's a, a hundred years of success. Yeah,
0: 1926 is when the first sort of German like official manager of the national team was sort of installed in the post. And this was the first time one of them got sacked. Um, so that mm. shows how bad he's been. Um, they bounced back. The Germans with a 2 1 win over France on Tuesday with Rudy Voller in charge. Obviously, kids of the, the the modern day will know Rudy Voller as that random German man on the back row with the mullet of the EA. What, what's it called now? The new FIFA name? EA24? That picture they put yeah. out of the. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it, it it was only it was only because of the hairdo and mustache that you knew it was Rudy Voller because yeah. otherwise you'd be like, hang on, who's that? That looks. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's one of Obviously, the. Great- Sorry, Frank Reichard gobbed in his hair in the eighties, the dirty <laughs> little bugger.
0: And it was so bad because he's got the curly mullet, so after Frank Reichard spattered his hair, it's the way it's flopping about in the wind and the spits just sort of following the hair. It was disgusting. But he is one of the greatest German players of all time. He was the it. German manager towards the turn of the century. He was the German manager when Heskey made it five. Ha ha ha. So that shows how bad Hansi Flick was because even with Rudy Voller in charge, who again was the manager when Heskey made it five, he got a 2-1 win over France on Tuesday.
1: Yeah. I don't know. But again, it's it's perhaps what we were saying before with the kind of the sheer paradox of Newcastle. Perhaps the team were just like, we can't let Rudy down. Let's, you know, let, let's pull our fingers out because we're under the spotlight now. Yeah, That's the new man to bounce, isn't it?
0: Yeah, they changed the German national anthem to the Kaiser Chief song. They, they slightly changed the lyrics that they did. Oh, Rudy, 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 Rudy. Ha, ha, ha,
1: ha, ha, ha. I wanted to see where you were going with that. I thought I'm not going to say anything, to see if he continues, but you put all down to bed. <laughs>
0: And an update on this story from the Hansi Flick second to the Rudi Voller win over France on Tuesday. Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp is apparently not looking to become the head coach of the German national team. And this comes to us from his agent, apparently the DFB which is the German FA, uh, made Klopp one of their priority candidates for the job and were so gagging to get him on board, they were willing to let him do it on a part-time basis until the end of the current season, allow him obviously to continue his role with the Reds from De Cup. But speaking to Sports Chow, which is a lovely name, I think I've said that right. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's sports chore. Either sports chore or sports chow. Klopp's agent, Mark Kosicki, or Kosick, Kosack. He's a sick guy. He he played down talks just saying his client would want to take on the job, saying Jürgen has a long-term contract with Liverpool and is not available for the national coaching position, which I'm sure is music to your lugs.
1: Yeah, because we've only got Klopp for a couple more years, and the way Klopp's done things in the past, when he finishes with one team, he takes a little sabbatical as a rest, as a pint, and then comes back. I can see him becoming Germany manager at some point, but definitely not after the season started. Definitely not on a part-time basis, and definitely not while Liverpool are fighting on several fronts as well. It's, it'd be too much for anyone to take on.
0: If if he said just hypothetically, if he did say, "Yeah, I'll give it a go," Liverpool and Germany, how would you feel about that splitting the difference?
1: I'd be. I don't know how we'd do it. I'd. I'd... I'd rather Liverpool had his full attention, really, but um, I don't know how you can do it part-time because, obviously, he'd have to go and watch players in the flesh and scout players across Germany. I don't know how he'd do it unless he just sent his underlings and his backroom staff. And then, obviously, if he's doing it on a part-time basis, then surely it's his Liverpool backroom staff doing it on a part-time basis. It would just be too much of a, an arsehole to do.
0: Yeah, it did. he wouldn't have a day off, would he, ever? No. And he'd probably take up smoking again. I think he gave up smoking, didn't he?
1: I think he did, yeah. He gave up smoking, got some new teeth, Um, got his eyes fixed, had a pint.
0: <laughs> Those teeth would be yellow within two weeks of him doing that if he was doing both Liverpool and Germany at the same time. They'd be yellow as balls because of the smoking. Is that what happens with tabs? I don't even know. I'd
1: say so. Tabs and coffee, isn't it? So.
0: Yeah coffee's mm. a cruel mistress anyway manchester united winger Jane sancho has now removed the social media post in which he claimed he was made a scapegoat after being dropped by manager eric ten Hag for that game away at arsenal last weekend sancho did have that tweet pinned to the top of his x account but has now made the decision to take it down which is adhering apparently to manchester united's wishes uh, sancho had a meeting with eric ten Hag for the first time since the post was made on monday um, which apparently went okay but apparently now he's going to leave Manchester United in January because he was linked or was the subject of a bid from the Saudi Pro League as Al Etty, you know what. We can't say on YouTube because it sounds like a sweary word, the second part of that word. Uh, they made contact, but a deal could not be finalised. I don't know how I feel about this.
1: Um, in in terms of him taking down well taking down attention from the post, good, because the old saying isn't it, just shut up and play your football. If he goes to Al you know what? How oh, old he? 22, 23? That would just be retiring. That would just be a stupid decision. Of course, he'd have more money than most people have hot dinners, but what happens if the, the Saudi Pro League doesn't go as big as they're hoping to with all this investment? What does he do? Say if in two years' time, he finds himself without a club in the Saudi League, no one's going to be able to afford his wages. He could effect- effectively be pulling the gun on his own career. Um. So I don't Man United, as we've said many times on this podcast, they're such a bizarre club. Yes. There just seems to be no structure, no kind of it's it's the inmates run the asylum, really. Even though they've got Tan there, who is you know quite tough on his players and a respected manager, it, it's just baffling to see.
0: Yeah, I've got to say, because last time we spoke about the sancho situation on the podcast, I was unaware. That when Ten Hag made it public, he was directly asked, oh, what about Jaden Sancho then? So he was just answering a question directly, which is what you want to see from a football manager. So I retract my statements about Eric Ten Hag making the entire situation public and blowing it up because it's good to see a manager being sort of honest in what the situation was asked of him. But in terms of Jaden Sancho, as you say there, if he does end up in Saudi Arabia, because um, there's, there's, there's not going to be any takers in the Premier League at the level he thinks he's going to be playing at because his performances haven't warranted any kind of move like that. If he moves to anywhere in the Premier League, it's going to be a bottom half team. I'm thinking maybe Everton on loan. I'm thinking Donny van der Beek went there on a a, a loan, didn't he, and didn't do anything. I'm thinking that sort of scenario. Um, It's going to be a low-down Premier League team, you would think, because he is 23 now. um, So if he did go to Saudi as well, he could be 25 and back over here, or back in Germany. Maybe he could go back to Germany. Maybe he could go back to Dortmund, because he was unreal at Dortmund. (laughs) I think people forget about that, don't they, just how good he was at Borussia Dortmund.
1: Yeah, because the second they left, they went, "Oh, what's going to happen?" Here? And Bellingham stepped up, and it's like, "Oh, he's 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 better." Um, I'd I'd take I'd take him at Liverpool, but again, it would be as a squad player, and he probably would, if if he spat his dummy out there, yeah, Jurgen Klopp would give him a fan boots up the arse.
0: That reminds me but, of when um, Newcastle signed Gabriel Obertan, What you've just said there, because I yeah. was like, I mean, when we signed him, I'm going, "Oh, what the hell was signed him for?" Like all oh, you see on. Social media and whatnot back in 2011 was my United fans battering Gabby Obertan for being awful signing that summer where they sold Ronaldo and then bought like Valencia and all that sort of stuff and Michael Owen. Oh, uh, but yeah, yeah, I was like, my defense was, well, there's a reason Manchester United paid money for him, and he, he had he had like three or four good games for Newcastle over five years, but that was it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So, so you were saying you'd have Sancho at Liverpool reminds me, obviously there's a reason Manchester United paid the money for him. Maybe Klopp could unleash that potential once more.
1: Yeah, potentially. Uh, I think I think every good player is linked with every top team. We were linked with Sancho at one point because, of course, we were in the, the Dortmund connection helped. But like you said there, perhaps going to Germany could be good for him. But I, I just, I, I fear that if he does go to the Saudi league, then, you know, If somehow we're still doing this podcast in 15 years' time, we'd be like, what happened to that wunderkind, Ross? Well, it's time for the (laughs) Jaden Sancho story.
0: And just in case you're wondering, dear listener and or viewer, what happened to that wunderkind makes its return today, and it's a shoot version Cause I don't even know who's coming up, so I'm 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 excited. I watched Jack, and I used that word again. I watched Jackass one yesterday for the first time in a while, and he said "sparkling." You know when Ryan <laughs> Ryan Dun puts the car toy up his ass, and he's like, yes. "Ooh, I'm sparkling." I've never ever taken the time to look up what that word actually means, but I think it's to me it sounds like you're like, you're fizzing with anticipation. You're excited about the future. Sparkling. I hope it is not something inappropriate.
1: This is going to sound really nerdy. Um if you get the opportunity to, watch Jackass 1 with the commentary on. It's fantastic.
0: Oh, where'd you get that?
1: Well, I had the DVD years ago, but I, I used to be a film geek and I'd watch some some films with commentary on because if it's a comedy film, it's usually hilarious. So there's two there's two tracks. There was one commentary, which was uh, Spike Jones, Jeff Tremaine, and Johnny Knoxville, which is all right. And there's another one, which is the rest of them, basically just being assholes for 90 minutes just heckling one and over and yeah it's good
0: yeah we've been making our way through the ones on netflix so we watched one two three and then 4.5 which is sort of like a hybrid of what you see in the jackass fall and also mm. like cutaway interviews with the cast as it's going on like sort of background information because it was sort of it was filmed during covid so yeah the, the initial lockdown back in 2020 so production was sort of split in half like a pre-covid and a post-covid so that was interesting but I'll, I'll have to yeah. check that out
1: there's there's like, 1.5, there's 2.5, 5, and 3.5 as well. There's point yeah. fives for all of them. Oh,
0: 0.5s. All right. <laughs> From the funny, we go to the arseholes because... Spanish Football Federation President Luis Rubiales has been summoned in court in Madrid to respond to allegations of sexual assault and coercion against him following that unsolicited kiss we saw after the Women's World Cup final. Uh, Jenny Hermoso, who was obviously the the lady in question in that incident, uh, filed legal complaint against Rubiales earlier this month, which has been accepted by a judge in Madrid, and he's been assigned to a magistrate of investigative uh, way up whether to recommend the case goes for trial or is dropped. Rubiales will appear before for that magistrate in Madrid as part of those proceedings on Friday and I hope they throw the book at him.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like the initial offence uh was bad enough but his conduct after it is just he's an asshole. I think that's the only way to say He's an asshole. Yeah, and it's and no like, surprise it's, that
0: it's, Piers Morgan got the world exclusive on that.
1: It, I mean, consider me shocked.
0: Assholes yeah. <laughs> love one thing and that is fellow assholes.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's um, it, it's good that this has been kept in the public eye as well. Yeah, because it's obviously it's like we said, it was a shame for it to happen. Anyway, it's a shame for it to happen after, like we said, possibly the biggest women's World Cup final ever. But the fact that the sport is growing and this provided they throw the book at him, this will help. I think the women's game grow because if they don't throw the book at him, then just people will just be like, ah, well, it's, it's just the women's game. Who cares kind of thing, if you know what I mean? So I think this will be very important.
0: Yeah. because so ultimately, you know, that behavior, it, 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 it kind of go on anyway, no matter what it is. But the fact yeah. that it was so like globally shown a man in a position of power against what ultimately like Jenny and her position as a player compared to him being the president is a subordinate and him exploiting that position of power to do what he did. I think that being highlighted because it, it you don't want to think it still goes on, but it definitely does. We saw it with our own eyes, so the fact it's been highlighted in that way as well, I think it'll help things in all walks of life, never mind just football.
1: It's the uh, it's the arrogance of powerful men, isn't it, really?
0: Yeah, Tosses mm-hmm. all of them. Right, the top-rated players in EA Sports FC 24 to give it its full title have been announced here as one for the kids, and also me, because I love the FIFA. Uh, with four world stars being uh, sharing the highest rank of 91 Ooh, up the FIFA ratings. Uh, Manchester City, Dua, Erling Haaland and Kevin De Bruyne have got themselves a 91, as has France, uh, Francis Kylian Mbappe and Alexa Putalas, who is part of the Spanish uh, World Cup winning team from the women's game. They've all been given 91. Then we've got the likes of Benzema, for some reason. Courtois, Kane, Lewandowski and Messi on 90, as do... An- oh, sorry, I'm going to butcher the pronunciations here. Oh, Alexa, be quiet. Sorry, she was just shouting at me there because I said something that must have <laughs> sounded like her name. I muted her now. Uh, we have Etana Bonmati, Sam Kerr, and Caroline Graha, Graha Hansen. Is she Alan's daughter? Um, <laughs> they've all got a ninety as well. So there you go, the top rated players in this. Well, EA Sports FC. People are just going to keep calling it FIFA, aren't they? Fancy a game of FIFA? Oh, come on, the FIFA.
1: I'm not old that I still. Whoa. Um, ISS Pro I (laughs) I was going to say yeah I was an ISS player on the SNES and the N64 so it'll always be ISS in my heart not Pro Evo and then Pro Evo changed its name to something else didn't it so I'm an old man
0: yeah the the drop off of Pro Evo is one of the saddest things in human history (laughs)
1: <laughs> Red I mean what can I say about Merseyside Red that hasn't already been said
0: <laughs> I remember Newcastle got licensed on The Last Good Perivo like proper kits and I remember Michael Owen was on the cover I think it was 2007 or 2008 around that sort of time and ever since then, Perivo's just it's gone off the face of a cliff. What they've done to that game is horrible. Anyway, Lionel Messi is named the best defender in world football. So therefore, we now know who officially is the best defender in world football. And Lionel Messi has said it's his teammate, Tottenham's Christian Romero. He said, for me, Christian Romero is the def- de- best defender in the world right now. Amazing performance tonight. Man of the match. This happened, this quote happened, I should say, after Argentina's Argentina I always do that on the podcast Argentina's 1-0 victory over Ecuador du, 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 du. Romero then responded to that compliment from the goat saying there are things that will remain in my memory for a lifetime I didn't expect it you always try to take advantage of the opportunity that the coach gives the opportunity that my teammates give me on the first day who received me with affection uh, they welcome me they trust me a lot and I try to give a, I try to give back the trust to all of them I am very happy and very grateful to all of them Ah, oh. uh, he, I mean- he is a hell of a player like <laughs>
1: A player and it's a lovely endorsement, but Messi wasn't exactly going to turn around and say, "Oh, he's very good." But for me, uh, Josco Gvardiol is ten times the player. He? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just thought it was funny how it's a player who we might not have played against in a competitive fixture. You would assume yeah. so. Where was Romero- Where did T- Spurs sign Romero from? Christian Romero. I've gone blank on where they signed him from. God, it was from Italy, wasn't it? It was from Atalanta. Of course, it was. So yeah. he won't have played against Messi in a competitive game. So he went from no. he was at, he was at Juventus. I didn't know that between 2019
1: no, and 2021.
0: No. Yeah. So they may have played. Maybe uh, maybe a champion. No, he played. He made no. Well, this is obviously league games. He played no league games, no league goals for Juventus between 19 and 21. Alone, 1920 season at Genoa, uh, alone at Atlanta. Maybe he had a Champions League game against Messi. Potentially, I don't know. Can't be asked to look either. (laughs) But he's a wonderful player. (laughs) (laughs) But
1: those kind of endorsements, like you said, if you've got a player who's considered the best of his generation, maybe the best of all time, saying, you're mint, that could take you to the next level, at least for the time being. And if his form continues, yeah, good on Messi for saying that. Nice man, Lionel.
0: Yeah, and he's already popping them in the top bins of Burnley away, so the sky's the limit now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> Paul Pogba has been suspended from playing after Italy's, Italy's national anti-doping tribunal revealed the eventless midfielder returned a test with higher levels of testosterone the France international was no new substitute during the game at Udinese on the 20th of August when he was selected for a random piss test after the match That every time you hear a football player speak about that they say it's the worst thing about being a footballer just how long it takes yeah, you got to stand there, and you can't have a drink. You just got to stand there and wait for it to happen.
1: Have you ever done a piss test, Ross?
0: No. No. Have you? No. Fantastic, wonderful podcast content. <laughs> Let us know in the comments down below if you have ever done a piss test. Juventus uh, released a statement saying basically we acknowledge what's gone on, but then they said the club reserves the right to consider the next procedural steps, which you would assume potentially. Could be the sacking of Paul Pogba. Pogba will now endure, endure a trial and the testing of a backup B sample. He risks risks a suspension from the game for two to four years if found guilty of using testosterone, a hormone, a home, Oh my God, a hormone which increases athletes' endurance. So then, Pogba, what a downfall, potentially. Yeah, yeah.
1: Surely, if they if they come down on him, this is the end of his career. Because oldy you now is he
0: is he 30,
1: 31, or is he younger than we expected because he's been around forever.
0: I think he's the same age as me, so I think he might have just turned thirty one. He's thirty. He's thirty one in March.
1: Okay. Um. Yeah, like you said, what a downfall. Um. As they say, Ross, he had the world at his feet, that lad. But anti doping, it's um, it, it's not to be trifled with. If they find even anything, they'll come down on you. We seen. Examples in the past where people haven't registered, you know, the actual prescription medicine, or they've taken. Was it Colo Torre who took uh, one of his wife's diet pills and got flagged up for it? So you can't piss around with it with legal substances. Never mind, like you said, if there's the potential to have a testosterone in there, then if he has done it, then he's he's got to be banned.
0: Is there the potential that he's just not had a wank for a while? Is there the potential?
1: Well, it, if that is the case, then surely that will come out <laughs> with the B, the, the B sample.
0: The B sample, uh, anyway. Yeah, that again, obviously, gaining an unfair advantage. I guess is where this falls into line. Obviously, testosterone mm-hmm. making you, as it said there, for the endurance and I guess strength comes into play as well. So, I hope he hasn't, because I like poor Pogba, me. As the fire engines arrive in the background. (laughs) I don't know if you can hear that. I was going to say,
1: I bet Graham Souness is at home having a big (laughs) wank over there.
0: Fabulous, he's saying. He loves that word, doesn't he, Graham Souness? Fabulous. Anyway, Virgil van Dijk has been hit with an additional suspension and a £100,000 fine by the FA for verbally abusing match officials after being sent off rightfully in Liverpool's 2-1 win at Newcastle last month. Uh, Van Dijk was sent off, of course, for a foul on Isaac, which was deemed to have denied the Newcastle forward a clear goal-scoring opportunity, which it did. The Liverpool captain, who served an automatic one-match ban for the straight red card, refused to leave the pitch straight away and was then seen swearing at the fourth official. And after admitting the charge of breaching FA rule E3.1. Van Dyke was given an additional game suspension and a fine by an independent commission. As a Liverpool fan, up the reds on the cop and all that sort of stuff. Thoughts on this one?
1: Um fine. I, I'm 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 fine with this. Um it was definitely a red card, like you said. He lashed out. Um he's not known for getting reds in his career. Obviously, he's lost a bit of his pace. He's not quite the player he once was. The only thing is, and it's the same thing we say all the time, as long as this becomes consistent, I'm fine with it. Because players are always going to swear at refs because they're emotional. Like, you know, it's 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 like being shocked. Say if someone slapped the back of your head, you might just say it, you know, F off out of just reactions. Um, but it has to be consistent. I don't want to see things like, we've already seen it this season where it was like, oh, you know, if you're going to, Miami, uh, a card—you'll get automatically booked, and that's already gone by the wayside in some matches. The things with things like this—where's that hundred grand going?
0: Yeah, I know. And why that, is it only a hundred grand as well? Like, yeah, obviously, a hundred grand is a cataclysmic amount of money to people like you and me, but to Virgil yeah. Van Dyke, that's half a week's wage. Yeah. But again, your point of where it's going is uh, if it's getting reinvested in grassroots football and that sort of stuff for the betterment you know, of the English FA, good. But if it's going in the back pockets of the big wigs at the top, not good.
1: No, and this has already been a season where trust in the PGMOL has diminished for many people, especially Liverpool fans. So I don't know like we've said it so many times referees deserve protection they don't deserve to be absolutely abused on the pitch or they have to be competent at their jobs as well and this is uh it was also announced that um Liverpool's favorite referee Paul Tierney will be in charge of VAR for our game against Wolves at the weekend so <laughs> it's ridiculous now but back to van dyke yeah as as long as this becomes the norm and we see more examples of this through the season fine if this is a one-off and Van Dyke's the only one who gets this, then I will be very angry about it.
0: You, there might be people that listen to this going, oh, that's just a Liverpool fan saying, you know, protecting their own. But that is, the consistency is the big issue. As you say, yeah. the stuff with the yellow cards, we've seen such inconsistency with that. This new rule about the two people on the touchline, how many teams are allowed two people on the touchline? Because, you know, it only seems that certain teams are not, mine being one of them. The consistency is the issue with every single law they bring into the game. They're, they're yeah. never consistent about anything.
1: No. And it was always, at least they always had the, um, the get out of jail card of refereeing in context for, you know, on on the pitch decisions that, you know, how meaty and robust tackles can be, etc. But like we said, for things like this, where it's just like, right, if you abuse a referee, this will happen or not. It's it's these black and white rules where they have to just stick by Because in- otherwise you're just going to get angry people.
0: <laughs> you are. We do away with human reps. We don't need them anymore. That's what I say.
1: Yeah, I give it to... Um, <laughs> going back to International Superstar Soccer, on ISS for the Super Nintendo, I've probably released in like 1994. If you put in the Konami code, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, start, it turned all... <laughs> it turned the referees and linesmen into dogs. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> I did not know. ISS Pro is a little bit before my time, to be honest with you. like When I was getting at the football games, I remember the first one was the Champions League game for the PS1 for the 99-2000 yeah. season. I don't know if that was in line with ISS Pro or not, but that was my first one. Maybe my mum just didn't buy me it and I just wasn't exposed to it. Stupid well, I, okay. <laughs> I,
1: I've got an older brother, so I, I played it through him, but I've still got... A Nintendo 64, and I've got ISS 64, and ISS. I want to say Road to the World Cup '98, um, with Paul Ince, and I want to say Ravenelli on the front, maybe.
0: Yeah, I've still got my what? original PS1 on the flat here, complete with Alan Shearer Newcastle stickers, by the way. Ooh. Should I go and get it because I actually want to show it? I'm quite proud of it. Yeah, you go get it. it. might take about two minutes to fetch the thing, but I'll go and get it. we we'll fast- fine. I'll
1: just talk. I'll talk about ISS 64. Go on then. <laughs> Yeah. So, ISS64, if um, any of you out there still use Twitter slash X, there was a uh, an account called, I think it was the ISS Commentator, I'll try and bring it up, because it had a crappy audio commentary track to it, like, you know, the, the SmackDown games and stuff like that. And it was just like, and it's Germany versus Italy. And we have a player's substitution and just things like that. And there's just this Twitter account that just tweets lines from this commentator. And it's fantastic. It's just like, it's gone in off the right post. Oh, And that was some great feeling by me. And there's Ross Squeddle back with the
0: goods. Did you actually talk there the entire time? Yes, I did. Fantastic. So some of the yeah. stickers have come off, but the main plate is still there. Just imagine this was entirely sort of covered with Newcastle United sort of like imagery but here is my original PS1 which has lived with me for the past however Ooh. however many years but it used to be covered in like you know especially made stickers for the PS1 but there he is I don't know if this That's is That's amazing It still works I've kept it in good if any nerds are watching there's the there's the back of it I don't know what any of that means but there we go there's it's be- where did I get this bought 1998 maybe and it's still me yeah. here in twenty twenty three. Original memory card. It's uh, a bit discoloured from top to bottom, <laughs> <laughs> but there we go. It still works. I think I last played on it maybe eight nine months ago. Turned on, had a game of FIFA ninety five. Fantastic stuff.
1: <laughs> what you need to get there was a game called Adidas. Have you ever played Adidas Power Soccer? No. It was made by I think it was by Psygnosis, which was a Liverpool based studio, um, and it was just you know. A game of footy, but it was basically a big advert for the Adidas Predator boots. And if you were playing well, you got like the special meter and you could press a button to do the Adidas power shot. And it was an unsavable shot where you'd hit it into the keeper <laughs> and you'd like roll backwards and throw it in. It was fantastic. It was crap, but amazing at the same time.
0: This sounds like a game I want to go on. Because that sounds like the sort of origins of FIFA Street. Do you remember FIFA Street when you get the powerful shot? Oh, uh, my...
1: My mate Phil has still got his GameCube with FIFA Street and we haven't done it for a while. But um, using me, Phil, my best mate Josh, who lives in Sydney, when we're all together, we'll get a chippy tea or as you call it, a Chinese meal. We'll get a chippy tea and we'll go around and we'll just play FIFA Street all night. It's fantastic. And we're just sat there going,
0: that keeper is large. <laughs> <laughs> FIFA Street, ha, ha. FIFA Street, yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, I love the original FIFA Street. I had FIFA Street too, but not the, not the, the modern one. I say modern no. one. It was like about 10 years ago now when that one got released.
1: For some reason, on the original FIFA Streets, my little, when you, when you make your own squad in um, story mode, Kevin Kilban, for some reason, was amazing on that game.
0: He was. I remember Kevin Kilban being very good on that game. As was, oh my God, who was the goalkeeper for Birmingham? Ah, bollocks. It wasn't Mike Taylor. It couldn't have been Mike Taylor. I've got Birmingham and goalkeeper in my head, and I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Mike oh. Taylor.
1: I, can't I just I just remember Kevin Kilbane especially. Just No one could get him out of my squad.
0: Yeah, Zinedine Kilbane. he's the cornerback <laughs> of the day. Manchester United forward Anthony has appeared on Brazilian television to deny allegations of assault made against him by former girlfriend Gabriela Cavalin. Uh, the 23-year-old is under investigation by police in both Manchester and Sao Paulo after, after Cavalin a claim to have been attacked by Anthony on a number of occasions dating back to 2022 with United Manchester that is releasing a statement to confirm they are aware of the proceedings Anthony was dropped from the Brazil squad as a result of the investigation which he has now claimed is an attempt to massacre his career I'm sure sh- uh, who's this quote the quote was from Anthony that we're about to read now it says I'm 100% sure that I've never touched a woman Um, uh, he told f- oh my god can you try and pronounce that name Fofo uh, Cal- Calizando Fofo Calizando
1: Yeah, sounds about right to me, yeah.
0: Yeah, anyway, Anthony continues, I will never... And I will come with proof. People will say the truth. I have never attacked and never will attack. I'm sure I've never committed physical violence, verbal violence. I offended her, Kavalin, and she offended me too. It was on both sides. Physical violence, Never. What I want most is to show people that, is, that this is who I am. I want to achieve many things. I have many goals and many dreams. I want to show who I really am. I dream of returning to, a national, to the national team and want to show that Anthony is innocent of all of this. Um, asked where he feared like his Manchester United count, uh, contract being uh, terminated. As a result of this, uh, this the recent allegations, Anthony then added, it is something that doesn't cross my mind. Mason Greenwood's been my canary doing the proverbial mine. and If he's already, I'm I'll read too, pest. That's a direct quote there from Anthony, the Brazil international yeah that wasn't Um, really that second bit there which is added on by me for comedic effect because Manchester United are weird
1: (laughs) it's it's hard what to say on this because if proof does come out that he has been abusive to his girlfriend then they'll keep keep
0: him on Jack they'll keep him on
1: I mean, yeah, they will. But you'd like to think that they've learned from the Greenwood thing and just kind of release him for his contract and send him away. And if he is exonerated or whatever, then move on from it. But again, un- until until we know more about this, can't really say anything definitively but you just hope that he he hasn't for everyone involved really
0: yeah man united have added to this story by the confirming that his well anthony's return to the club has been postponed they put a statement out saying say manchester acknowledges the allegations made against anthony uh we as a club uh condemn acts of violence and abuse and uh, we recognize the importance of safeguarding all those involved in this situation and acknowledge the impact these allegations have on survivors of abuse Two other women uh, on top of this have come forward uh, making statements claiming Anthony was violent towards them. And the statement, again, had to be released by Anthony, which read, I have agreed with Manchester United to take a period of absence while I address the allegations made against me. This is a mutual decision to avoid distraction to my teammates and unnecessary controversy to the club. He goes on to reiterate his innocence in that statement once more. Again, we'll have to wait and see what happens with this one, but it's uh, so soon after the Greenwood one and. it been you know involving a Manchester United player and how they handled the Greenwood situation. It's not the it's not the best thing to see, is it?
1: No, it's it's not nice. Regardless of who's involved, it's not nice. Regardless of the industry involved, but um, and and this might not be the thing to say, but Man United need to kind of get a hold of their players if they've got so many i don't know like rash players i think is the only word that comes to mind in the private lives and stuff like that it's i don't know so something something needs to change
0: yeah big time we go from that sobering news to the highlight of the week here on the podcast it's the normal older we do things and we go from the football news of the week to the highlight of the week jackins i'll let you go first this time what is your highlight of the past seven days
1: um this was a really nice one it was i don't know if it's made the rounds really outside of Liverpool Twitter and Liverpool news. But um, Liverpool, when we sold, we, we sold off our old training ground of Melwood and it was to be redeveloped and our players and the training facilities moved to the AXA. But the club of U turned and bought the ground back and it is now a proper training facility for the women's team. So Melwood is now, it, it's still part, because it's important to Liverpool's history. But it's now for the women's team and they were welcomed back into Melwood last week. The red carpet was there. There was a guard of honour and it was just... It's nice to see LFC finally taking the women's team seriously because for a long time they didn't. Um, Especially, I think, in the 2000s, I think Everton women's team were quite good when it was, you know, Arsenal right at the top of the tree and Everton women's were really good. Liverpool never really took it seriously. But now, obviously, we've got Missy Bokerns and she's amazing, but... It, it, it's nice that they've finally thought, oh, rather than sending them to kind of train and play the games at Tramia. You're, we're a multi-billion dollar club. Yeah. We, we should be able to run this, no problem, and it'd be nice to see some more investment. Are they like so, an actual, was, actual part really of the football nice club? What was that, sorry?
0: Are they actually like part of the football club? Are they like a standalone football club, the women's team?
1: No, they, they are part of the football club because, you know, when there's the kit launches and everything, it's the men's and women's teams launching it um, but it's just for some reason we just never paid attention to it from a from a business point of view but it's yeah it was really nice scenes.
0: Did the club buy a back off Carragher and Fowler because I'm sure I read a few years ago that Carragher and Fowler have like purchased Melwood after it, you know you moved to the new one.
1: Yeah because well Fowler's always been involved in property development because it was one of the the chance in the nineties. It was we all live in a Robbie Fowler house, a Robbie Fowler house. Him and McManaman I basically, as soon as they made any money, someone said property, and they went, yeah, fine. Um, and I think as well, I, d- I didn't get the quotes up, but as well as being the home for the Liverpool women's team, they are still going to do things with the community there and um, helping you know kids who might not have uh access to really good footballing facilities so it's it's just nice all round by the looks of it
0: yeah big time that's wholesome news isn't it for the highlight of the week my highlight yeah. of the week is just something that's got so much sass there's the link on there if you want to click a check and see you can see it with your own eyes but basically Ronaldinho has recently been involved in a Barcelona legends like friendly game there was a pitch invader after the game and that sexy bastard himself has just dropped the shoulder to evade a pitch invader The footage, as I'm going to play now, will speak for itself if you're watching on YouTube. If you're not, just imagine Ronaldinho from 2006 dropping a shoulder, but there being no ball at his feet, but instead a pitch invader, entering his personal space.
1: (laughs) Oh, look at him. He's...
0: (laughs) It's world-class, Jack Atkins. He has not lost a step. All that shagging in the hot tubs that he does every single day of his life for the past 25 years, it's not catching up to him yet.
1: He's just, yeah, he's hes amazing. That was wonderful. It's the fact that he seemed to go in slow motion. I thought he'd <laughs> taking the piss at first, but... He's absolutely done that pitch invader, a kipper.
0: It's fantastic, isn't it? And that is my highlight of the week. We heard my twat of the week earlier in the podcast. It is Gareth Southgate for his comments about Phil Foden. Well, he doesn't play there for his club, so presumably that's for a reason. While well, I pick players who don't play anywhere for their clubs, but play them for a reason. Who is your twat of the week, Jarkins?
1: Well, again, this is going to be very Liverpool centric because I've had a Liverpool centric week, and it's similar, a similar vibe to Gareth Southgate's terrible. Um, Team choice. It's the uh, the Yashin Trophy panel. I don't know if you've seen this. Not a clue. As part of, you know, the Ballon d'Or, you got the Yashin Award for the best goalkeeper. And uh, Alisson wasn't in the running for best keeper. And that's fine. It's subjective. But, you know, regardless if Liverpool had a bad season or not, Alisson is potentially the best keeper on the planet. I mean, Aaron Ramsdale was nominated after a season so good that Arsenal replaced them. Like it's, Ter Stegen was in there. It's ridiculous, but this is part of like me really. Why am I getting wound up for this? I don't put too much credence into things like this, the Ballon d'Or, even the Oscars, because there's agendas and headlines that get in the way of recognizing actual excellence. Like with the Ballon d'Or, I don't like the fact that it's just like, oh, well, he scored 50 goals, so he's the best. It's like, what about defenders? What about midfielders? What about keepers, etc. Uh, awards are bollocks at the end of the day if you could trophies if you're going to play for points or if there's a tournament and you win something that's fine but an award is too subjective and this how is Alisson not in the running for the best keeper on the planet when in my opinion and probably the opinion of a few neutrals if he's not number one he's in the top two
0: he's up there for sure i mean i can see why both ramsdale and terstega were also nominated that's not discrediting i know ramsdale dropped off towards the end of the season but before that yeah. he was amazing um but to see yeah to see alice not in there because again we we were putting together our teams of the season on this very youtube channel a few months ago go and have a look if you want to see that for last season And i remember seeing owen and joel were both liverpool obviously we are both liverpool fans I should say and they both put alice in there and i was like what are you joking they had a crap season. What are you talking about? But when you go back and look at Alisson's performances in a vacuum, he was outstanding, wasn't he?
1: He was our player of the season. He's, he's the only reason that we managed to kind of claw anything back from it. because without Alisson, we would have been bollocks last season. Uh, again, it's my Liverpool bias is showing through a little bit, of course. And like you said, not taking anything away from Testegan or from Ramsdale, but it's just a bit mad, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is a bit mad. Hopefully he gets his flowers soon.
1: Hopefully, hopefully when Liverpool win the Premier League again this season. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a load of bollocks. Anyway, it's time to <laughs> debut a new segment here on the Holy Gear Football Podcast, which I've titled, Welcome to Brighton and Hove Albion Fullback back Purvis Estepinion. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's brilliant.
0: I've got to be honest with you, Jarkins. I was in bed this morning doing these notes for the podcast, and that's the best I could come up with.
1: Well, it, it just made me like hurt myself and <laughs> need a piss from laughing. Um,
0: that's the second but- time I've done on the on the. You know, I was the day job. We do wrestling coverage just in case you don't watch it. And I made my p- podcast host Matthew, little Matthew. I made him need to go for a poo. He was laughing that hard last week. I'm on. I'm on great form in terms of getting external body things out of people that made no sense, Peter, what I'm trying to say what we're going to say. <laughs>
1: well, I was going to say, I've, I've got to give a shout out to uh, Jordan Powell on Instagram. Cause he, he DM me in the week saying, you know, pitching this as an idea. Um, and I messaged you forgetting that you were on holiday. So you only got back to me this morning as you put in the notes to go and you went, Sam, let's run with it. So I messaged him back saying, yeah, send us your, uh, your spicy take, but I haven't heard back from him. So don't worry. We'll get around to it when you send it in.
0: Next week, here's Spike. So basically what the segment is, we're going to take a spicy take. If you saw the tweet at HoldGive on X, if if you go on the YouTube channel, there'll be a little website link there. There'll be a link then to the Twitter account. If you go on there and I ask for people sort of like their rash football opinions, what has been, what is currently a rash football opinion, we're going to pick one a week and then we're going to have a little chat about it. Maybe laugh at it, maybe agree with it. We've got one here this week from Ad, at Ad underscore 34 szn who says Ryan Giggs is massively overrated. Only hit 10 plus goals in the Prem in two seasons. And Sesc, Kevin De Bruyne, Beckham, Burkham, and De Silva all have better assist to game ratios. And it's just the players from the top 10 in assists. Only thing he has is longevity and being peak in United ter- teams. And being in peak United teams. Now, we picked this one because I think a lot of people obviously love Ryan Giggs. I agree with this one, though. We're gonna kick things off in a weird way because normally we'd probably laugh at these how poorly aged some of these opinions have aged over you know since they were made. But I agree with this one. I go back to that little argument Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher were having on Sky when they were picking their combined Manchester City and so Manchester City twenty three and Man United ninety nine like combined eleven and Carragher was like, well, yeah, Giggs only had like two or three goals. Yes, he's a he was there for ages, but in terms of numbers and whatever, overrated.
1: I want to agree with you. And as a kid, despite being Man United's, you know, one of the focal players, I, I really, I loved Ryan Giggs as a player, as a kid.
0: I should say, there's like, there's two Ryan Giggs for me. There's the Ryan Giggs who, to steal the phrase from Micah Richards, burst on the scene. Then there's the Ryan Giggs from like pfft, the turn of the century onwards. There's three There's three Ryan Giggses, right? There's three. There's the first one who burst into the scene, the jinky winger, the the fantastic, you know, free flowing football one. There's the second one who dipped off. Then there's the third one who, with age, more centrally, all that sort of stuff, was taking the piss. So there's that lull in the middle, which I think weighs Ryan Giggs down. That's yeah, how I feel about I, Ryan Giggs.
1: <laughs> when I think of Ryan Giggs, I do think of, like you said, the, the player who burst into the scene. You know, the the. Uh, the the fanny part, and as we call it, hairdo, the hairy chest. Um, part of this, though, is I think opinions have changed on Ryan Giggs after it's emerged that in private he's a bit of a twat, to put it mildly. Because um, I think part of it was that kind of appeal in the 90s was, oh, you know, he's a wholesome, you know, Welsh lad who's done well and he plays good football and he's a good role model to kids and he's a good player in a good team but once the kind of you know the the curtain was lifted and everyone was like oh he's a knobhead actually let's let's go back and look at it was he as good as we all thought he was again taking nothing back from it you don't stay in that man united team for as long as you do without being mustered but yeah in terms of like you said there compared to other numbers it's if you're going on the numbers alone, it's not great, is
0: it? No. No, 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 no. I'm sure the comments will be happy about that one. But there we go. That's what the segment's going to be. It could be your opinion next week if you reply to that tweet at holdgive on x.com. And then we might pick it. We'll pick one a week and then we'll, we'll make our way through them. So there we go. That was the brand new segment on the podcast to give it its full full title. Welcome to Brighton Hove Albion fullback, Purvis Opinion. What are you talking about? It's time for my favourite segment now. It's What Happened to That Wonder Kid. Are you all right? <laughs>
1: it's, uh, it's, I, I love a convoluted <laughs> crap.
0: <laughs> and if you want to make a jingle for these segments, please, ross at holdinggive.com. Use royalty free music so we don't get copyright claimed. <laughs> I'm accepting all all offers. Uh, so, what? who is the Wonder Kid this week? Fill me in, Jarkins. Craig, David, me.
1: So. I'd alluded to this one a few weeks back, and again, not every wonder Kid was going to have the potential of a Pato or a Bojan, but this week, we're talking about the curious case of David Bentley.
0: Oh, I fell out of love with the game.
1: <laughs> that was a really good impersonation of him. Um I, I think part of Bentley's problem, before I get stuck in, was it was the weight of England playing a big part in his story, which we'll get into. So, obviously, product of the Arsenal Academy, Bentley signed a senior contract of Arsenal in September 2001, weeks after his 17th birthday. He'd have to wait until January 03 until he got a senior debut. As this was still that Arsenal side and he could play anywhere in the front three. I think he was intended to play as the second striker for Arsenal. He could play in attack in mid, he can play on the wing. But, he said, 2003, Arsenal still had Perez, Lumberg, Bergkamp, Henry, etc. So he wasn't going to be able to force his way into that team. Um, he would score some amazing goals. There was the FA Cup chip against Middlesbrough, um, which was the highlight of his Arsenal run, really. And he'd go out on loan to Norwich for the 0405 4 5 season. At Norwich, 28 apps, two goals, five assists in all comps, which isn't bad, but Norwich got relegated and Bentley missed several months with a knee injury. He'd return to Arsenal, would hand in a transfer request in search of first-team football, and would later admit he had lost his enjoyment for the game amidst personal problems around this time. So it's, it's, it's already seeming like it's the kind of, we've seen it time and again, young, prodigious talent, you know, big spotlight, and already the, the kind of money and pressure getting to him. Because he'll admit that you know early in his career he had a, a bad gambling addiction as well so it was the kind of the pressures of fame but anyway he handed his transfer request to arsenal didn't get a permanent transfer straight away 05-06 joins blackburn on loan and the deal became permanent in january 06. but that first season with blackburn rovers finished sixth Bentley got five goals in, 30, in 35 appearances with a hat trick against man united to his name and He's 21 years old at this point, and everyone's like, "Okay, this is looking decent." Arsenal have let something slip here. Oh six, oh seven, even better. 22 years old, hits form. 51 appearances, seven goals in all competitions, uh, including as you were saying last week, a swaz against Salzburg in Europe. <laughs> but then here's where it started to get a, to go wrong for, it, in my opinion, because they were calling him the next Beckham. He was young, handsome English, and could swaz them in. A dead uh, ball
0: specialist with the right foot.
1: Of course, and even when he played for the under-21s in England, he had the number seven shirt and all that kind of stuff. He and kicked
0: the ball like Beckham as well. He had that motion with his arms flapping like a bird.
1: Yeah, he, he definitely styled his dead ball technique on him. But, like, Steve McLaren even said he could be the next potential Beckham after calling him up to England B in 2007. And how are you going to live up to that? It's... It's 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 tough. And then he didn't do himself any favours. Uh, Bentley was called up to the under-21 England squad for the Euros, pulled out citing and fatigue, and Stuart Pearce was kind of like, mm, mm. okay. Uh, and the, the image was soon painted in the media that Bentley thought he was bigger than he was. I remember a, when he was a player thinking, oh, he's a bit of a cockney white boy Not bad, really. Well, he had the um, hair,
0: didn't he? He always had the, the slick black hair or- you know, highlights and tips and that sort of stuff. A little goatee I can picture on his face as well.
1: Yeah, and what was it Soccer AM when he hit a, do you remember this, when he hit a free kick off a building into a dumpster across the street and won a Rolex? No. You know, do you not remember <laughs> that? I think it was his agent, or his uh, his agent bet him a Rolex that he couldn't do it and he hit it. But all this kind of stuff, you, you know, it's the kind of someone who is, he exuded confidence, which can rub people up the wrong way. But still, he had another impressive season in 07-08, even after these Beckham comparisons. He had 9-47 and 47 in all comps. He had uh, a Beckham-esque free kick against Italy in 07. And was he was the first Englishman to score at the new Wembley Stadium. That was so, a 2021
0: game, wasn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. But then after this, his performances caught the attention of Tottenham. Man United were apparently hovering, but he went to Tottenham, shelled out 15 million for him in July 2008 on a six-year deal. And he's 23 years old. And everyone thought, right, here we go. He's done well at Blackburn. in A a Blackburn team that were were good at the time, but kind of, you know, operating above their station, I think it's fair to say. Comes into Tottenham, uh, started strong, hit a Thunder Bastard against Arsenal in his first league goal.
0: By the way, if you've not seen that goal, kids, my God, he's about 40 yards out. Almunia's slightly off his line and he just hits it up in the air and it dips perfectly into the goal.
1: With no run up or anything because the the ball I can't remember who it goes from I think Genis to Modric to someone else and the ball doesn't touch the floor and yeah David Bentley one touch volley no power or velocity of like 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 his body momentum behind it but he just it was incredible goal and still holds up to this day but after this his form dropped and he found himself in and out of the squad so that first season 35 appearances two goals. Not a great return for fifteen mil in two thousand and eight, but still twenty three years old, adapting to a new team. Okay, oh nine, oh ten. He makes fifteen league appearances, and he'd been pushed out of the squad by Aaron Lennon because yeah. Aaron Lennon at this point was absolutely mint. So he yeah, had uh, twenty. For some reason, I've got twenty four and three in all competitions. Yeah, twenty four appearances, three goals in all competitions. Fifteen in league appearances. January two thousand and eleven, he joins Birmingham on loan. Starts strongly, loses form. You know why his 15... Spurs
0: career didn't work out, by the way, just by, before we got into his teams after Spurs? Go on. It's because he wore the number five. Do you think? Yeah. You know, you're never going to succeed being a winger with number five.
1: What about, remember when Clint Dempsey had, 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 was at number two?
0: Exactly. <laughs> Excuse I... me. That's That was at Spurs as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... But...
1: I'm a stickler. I, I like seeing a good one to 10.
0: Yeah, so do I. But five for a winger is a disgrace.
1: Yeah. But Sorry, regardless.
0: he's a Birmingham. It's, all, <laughs> it's
1: all right, yeah. He's a Birmingham on loan. Starts strongly, loses form. 15 appearances and one goal. Uh, in the 11-12 season joins West Ham on loan in the championship, but a knee injury rules him out for six months and he returns to Spurs for his treatment and rehab. And then in 2012, 13, he joins FC Rostov in Russia on loan, and he played eight times in all competitions. Uh, returns to England, nearly ends up at QPR, but rejoins Blackburn on loan in February 2013, but only plays five times. And at age just 28, he's released by Spurs in June 2013, and retires a year later, unable to find a club at 29. Yeah. So. Everything that I've seen about him, like all the comments online, people saying, obviously Blackburn fans, you know, have a soft spot for him. Other people saying that that move to Tottenham ruined his career, whether that was f- through his fault or not. Um, and then other people saying that whenever they met him, he's a really nice, this, despite this kind of image of a Jack the Lad, really nice guy. And like you said, he, he fell out of love with football. He'd had uh, a gambling addiction early in his career. He went on, I watched his interview from Fletch and Sav in 2016, and he, he's kind of upfront. He says he didn't think he had the right mentality to succeed at the highest level, uh, and said he wasn't like robotic enough to kind of block everything out and just focus on the football. He had things in his personal life and you know the problems of being in the spotlight, and he just couldn't get away from it. And he said that was one of the reasons why he went to Russia, because he just wanted to just go and just play football and have it be fun again. And he's kind of alluding to the fact that when he came threw in Arsenal in the early 2000s. He said it was just amazing fun because obviously he still had like Ray Parler and some of the old guard there who, you know, admittedly probably had a pint at lunchtime and that. But he said it was that kind of atmosphere of just being the the players who came up when it wasn't ridiculous sums of money getting thrown at them, but still playing at a high level. And he just said that um, football stopped being fun for him and he missed those early days and he just wanted to be anonymous and play football. And it... Again, made, made good money, had some amazing highlights. Like we said, the first Englishman to score at the new Wembley. No one can ever take that away from him. And is, as is often the case of these Wunderkins, even if they don't reach the heights that we believe they would, they still have very good careers that anyone would be envious of. But it's just potentially too much too soon, as is always the case.
0: Yeah, what might have been. I think David Bentley is definitely one of them. because, As you say, when we got to Blackburn... You're thinking, oh, so do you remember back in the days of uh, LMA manager? I used to play that from time to time, and Bentley would always be rated really low. I'm like, what, what, why is he, why is he so low? And then he got yeah. to Blackburn, and he was rated really highly. I'm like, well, here we go, then this, this is David Bentley, he's arrived. But then it's just that move to I don't know what would have gone on. The managerial merry-go-round at Spurs back then wouldn't have helped. I think he would have no. been was he being signed by Wande Ramos and then Harry would have come in. Is that around that sort of time? And then. Yeah, he know, played under just... Harry
1: because it was when um, Redknapp was at QPR, he was trying to bring him back in, you know, probably from the door of his car. But... It, it, it's weird that you're saying that the Spurs managerial roundabout back then, like, you know, it hasn't been going on constantly for the last 20
0: years. <laughs> I, just, I can't imagine that would help in that situation. But then he would think that Harry Redknapp would be the perfect manager for him, being a sort of Jack the Droopy the dog himself.
1: Yeah, I I think another who, as weird as this sounds, another manager who may have been good for him may have been Mourinho. Um, obviously, the timeline doesn't quite add up, obviously, but Mourinho, as we've seen, he can be an arsehole. He can be blunt towards players he doesn't like. But if he has a good talent there, he will put his arm around them. And he will, we've seen it at every club he's been at. He's gone, this lad here, best player on the planet. This lad here, best player on the planet. This lad here, I can't do without him. I think... Yeah, that, that kind of close relationship would have really helped him.
0: Yeah, because he was. He had all the talent, but again, it was just if he says that mentality thing, I guess that is largely going to play a part when you you are playing at the top level. But damn those David Beckham comparisons, because it was never going to be like that, was it?
1: No, exactly. Especially so soon after Beckham. We're not talking like 10, 15 years removed. We're talking... Beckham would
0: what? have been in the squad at the time.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Because yeah. Beckham had that retirement after 06, but he was brought back in. 08. Yeah. oh eight was
1: he? he? Yeah, but even when we're saying when he's based on the scene in 2000, 2001, what? Well, Beckham's at Real Madrid. Or was that 2002? When
0: Beckham met Madrid? Yeah. 03.
1: 03. Around there, you know I read, what I mean? I read boy.
0: the book An Englishman Abroad about David Beckham. <laughs> Of course you did. <laughs> you're a you're, you're a student of the game. <laughs> but there we go. That was what happened to that wunderkind. What, any any update on like what he's doing in terms of his life at the moment now, David Bentley?
1: Uh, no. I've, uh, another thing he said when he retired at 29, obviously he'd, he'd stopped enjoying the game as much, but he'd made good money. He'd reinvested some of it. I think he was running Corona of a restaurant somewhere in Spain. I think he's got twins as well. So he was just like, do you know what? gonna hang out with my kids. I don't know what he's up to now. I'm, I'm sure he probably. Get, I'm surprised he hasn't had more of a media career. I mean,
0: he seems to have the personality yeah. for it. Yeah,
1: yeah. No dissing to Jermaine Genius, but uh, yeah, David Bentley, in terms of raw ability, I'd say he was a better player.
0: Yeah, but D- Jermaine Genus belongs on the One Show. I know when he he hosts that from time to time. Like, yeah, you're crack. You're Kavorka, that belongs on the one show, Jermaine (laughs) Sheenis, you boring man. Anyway, we move on from the sad tale of David. Well, it's not a sad tale. It's a what-might-have-been tale of David Bentley to the Roberto Mail Baggio, Ross at HoldandGive.com to get your submissions in after last week's Barren Wasteland. Thank you very much, everybody, for getting in contact this week. It was back to its old self, was the Roberto Baggio? We kick things off. Hi, guys. At one of my old workplaces, I was asked who I support. I said Mansfield Town, because it's true. Born, raised, still there. They said, no, really? What team? I said, Mansfield Town. They said, yes, I know, but who is your proper team? They were genuine. They really didn't believe that anyone would slash could support a team outside the Prem. And my question is... What are people's reactions when you tell them your team? Also, Ross, who did you support, in abbreviated commas, when Newcastle were in the championship? And that's from Rob. Well, let me tell you there, Rob, I had a season ticket at Newcastle United when we were in the championship. Should stick that up your ass. (laughs) 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 I was in the Gallagher three quarters of the way up, if you want to know. Um, But what do people say when you support the Reds?
1: It's Well, it's a boring one for me because obviously Liverpool are huge and it's before the conversation even comes to football. If I'm outside of Merseyside and someone hears the accent, of course, I need to s- state I'm a wool. I'm from the other side of the, the river, but it's all the same really. Proper proper wool to me is like Wigan and Skelmersdale way. I'm from New Brighton, which is, you know, from my old flat, I could see Anfield, so it, it's fine, but... No matter where I am, it's as soon as someone hears the accent, they'll be red or blue, mm. and I've I've got mates who don't like football, and people just go red or blue, and rather than be like, well, actually, they just say, uh, yeah, whichever, they just pick one, if you know what I mean. But it's, I I've often wondered the other way around, like with a Mansfield Town supporter, because I've I've grown up with you know the the privilege of having two no matter what, how much we take the piss out of Everton, two big premiership sides in the area. And in the nineties, obviously, um Tranmere, we were in the old division one as well, if I ever got to Tramia games, but I've always wondered, like it's, it, it's a different world to me, supporting like lower league teams like Mansfield town. But obviously if it's, if it's your local team, it's your local team, isn't
0: it? Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> Keep boring. People just hear the accent and just go red or blue. And if I say Liverpool, they just go, oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm much the same. Like, people want to hear the accent. It's obviously like, oh, it's a, a Newcastle way in it. Yes, it is. I'm a farmer from Northumberland, but that's besides the point. Um, obviously, the reaction very much changed since the takeover. I now obviously support Newcastle, condone everything to do with Saudi Arabian politics and how they. Uh, do their way of life over there and whatnot, which, you know, I think it's it's okay to sort of say, no, I don't agree with that, but I also support the team that I've supported for, you know, 30 years of my life. Um, it's a, a weird thing. Oh, I'd hope that more... It's a weird thing to say... But I don't mean this when I say I hope that more football fans get put in that situation. Because it's easy to sit back and go, oh, I would stop supporting my football team if if I had no say in who took them over and they were taken over by those people. But I had no say in who took them over. I would definitely stop supporting them. There's no way I could lower myself, my moral compass to that. Put yourself in my shoes. Could you really, if Liverpool were taken over by the Saudis, stop supporting Liverpool? I, you'd probably say yes, but when push came to shove, it's your way of life. It has been all your life. There used to be the same when Mike Ashley was in charge. of Newcastle support the team and not the regime, and that has changed now for some reason. I don't know. I, you know. I,
1: I think I'd still be a, Liv- a Liverpool fan, but I think my love for the game would diminish, like yeah. the way it is in the modern game. Anyway, it's 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 easy it's, to say it's not the same, but it's just it's not the same anymore,
0: the is same it? Anymore. I miss the days of Shepherd Steele being in charge of Newcastle. Brown Ale being the sponsor on the front of the shirt. That's what we need back.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, the old idea is that, like, um, even for the players, whereas now it's just like, oh, you know, the top Premier League players dating the top pop star. But back in the day, it's like, oh, it is, I don't know, Colin Hendry and his lovely wife, Melissa, who runs a salon in town. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a the, world, the
0: it? common stuff, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's just I guess that's now the, cop- the topic of discussion, um, especially after this week where... The Saudi Arabia had two international friendlies. I think they were at St James's Park. I think the first one was attended by about five thousand people, and the large majority of that it appeared to be was um, like Saudi nationals who came over um, to to support their team. And but yeah, that's because there was the videos going around on Twitter about yeah, there was a like a like a supporters branch like like against sports washing like protesting outside the games before. Which fair enough, I agree with the sort of concept of sports washing, um, but. No, I agree with you know. Agree with highlighting the... What am I trying to say? You know what I'm trying to say? I agree with... Yeah, him. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was, like, these young, you know, blonde tips in their hair, wearing their Saudi shirts. Um, Newcastle, I say, fans in, in quotation marks there, just saying, like, no, you're not right. Why don't you just support them? It's like, open your eyes a bit, you bloody tit. There's more, to, like, life than there is just, you know, your football team doing all right surely yeah when it comes to stuff like that but that's all the topic of discussion is now when you're a newcastle fan it immediately goes there which is i guess it's part for the course but again i ask people to put themselves in my shoes if you're a fan of your local team for all your life and they got taken over what would you do it'd be very hard to turn your back on it
1: yeah and, and until you're in that position you can't you don't really know what you'll do
0: no you don't it is it's weird it's a, a horrible thing to try and wrap your mind around, but that's a dis- different discussion for another day, I guess. We move on to the Roberto Baguio Hello, pleasant boys. Only recently got into football thanks to COVID, Ross Stream and FIFA, and an older game offered for free, which was Football Manager 20. Yes, it may have taken months off my life, uh, but I don't see uh, those people take a team from the Vanarama North to win the Prem in 10 years. I'm still learning about the important players and teams, and one way to, and one way to do that would be to associate... Uh, oh, my God. I, need, I, I never wear my glasses on the podcast and I need my glasses now. And one way to do that would be with an association game of using another sport I love, basketball. Please give me the first player, coach or club that best fits the counterpart. Right, here we go. So number one from basketball, LeBron James, who is, according to Roland, oh, sorry, Roland, uh, statistically the greatest player, but 50% of people say he is not.
1: I'm going to say Pele.
0: I thought I thought i would be just either Messi or Ronaldo. Oh well, I like. <laughs>
1: but when people people talk about the greatest of all time, for people who were there, they still say Pele. But there's others who say he's a bit of a stat pad merchant. He only proved, yes, he won a few World Cups. Let's not take that off the table. But played in the Brazilian league and then the 70s American league. Could he do it on you know a cold, wet Tuesday night in Stoke? Um, I don't begrudge people saying he's the best of all time, but. Like you said, the argument can be made that he was a stat pad merchant for including goals in friendlies and exhibition matches. Yeah. 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 You, yourself? Yeah. You, who's your LeBron James?
0: I'd say, well, personally, Messi, but I think you know, the bit where it says 50% people say he's not, you've got the 50% yeah. of the people who think the GOAT is Messi, and maybe 50% who think it's Ronaldo, so I'd go for that. That comparison right there. Um, we've got number two, Magic versus Bird, the biggest rivalry that grew the game
1: in terms of global reach i would say it's ronaldo versus messi for the modern game and um, historically i think it just all depends where you are because we've seen it grow from more well, we say we've seen it in general over the last hundred years the game has grown from like local to association to you know the bigger stage so even local derbies or whatever but i'd say modern game Messi versus Ronaldo, and for us of our generation, probably Fergie versus Wenger in the Halcyon days of the Prem.
0: Yeah, I'd also say maybe B-Sky-B versus Tradition. (laughs) I'm trying to think of who who was fighting against B-Sky-B getting involved in the Premier League back in in the early 90s. Uh, The
1: the Milk Board.
0: The Milk Board. The Milk Board (laughs) versus B-Sky-B, obviously when the Premier League became the Premier League in 1992 that's when the game just sort of went Nyeow. I made the wrong noise there Pow. that was a, a rocket taken off into space that was that's when the game sort of went to a completely different level so I'd, I'd probably say B Sky B versus tradition <laughs> number three coach pop the greatest coach of all time
1: Bob Paisley next question
0: <laughs> it's it's, no. it's, Cru- it's Cruyff isn't it uh <sighs>
1: Or oh, was it Renus Michels, who brought in total football in yeah. Holland? Ferg- um, you've got to
0: throw Ferguson in there. I know you don't want to, but you got to.
1: No, you've got to. Um, Ferguson, uh, Ancelotti's got to be in the conversation. Yeah, Pep, uh, the
0: way he's changed football. Pep, I guess you got to throw in there as well. Pep yeah. could be Coach Pop.
1: Yeah, Coach <laughs> Pop Guardiola. Pop Guardiola. But there's usually a bank of about five or six managers that come up time and again.
0: Yeah. Uh, number four, Lakers franchise, which is most titles, uh, t- it says most titles and tied, lots of bandwagoners, most annoying fan base. Well, <laughs> Liverpool franchise. <laughs> it's Man United, isn't
1: it? <laughs> yeah, Man United or Real Madrid. Um, because I think they were the first two teams to really become brands. As much as you may hate it, their kind of work off the pitch in, in the early 2000s was superb, um, but yeah, like you said, uh, Arsenal fans are quite gobby. Us Liverpool fans are too. Uh, any obnoxious football fan really on Twitter is a bell end.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, weirdly, I don't know why, but for some reason on Twitter, I get like tapped into kind of a lot of accounts from Africa and like fans of Real Madrid. From places like Ghana, etc., are very gobby. I don't know why.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. I'm trying yeah. to think who my most like annoying fan base is. Lots of lots of bandwagoners obviously changes things a bit, but most annoying fan base. I can't even begin to think. West Ham?
1: West Ham West Ham?
0: Uh, West Ham with a bloody little peaky Blinders hats on and whatnot. Annoying. Anyway, Kobe Bryant. Mm. Kobe Bryant is the next one. Top 10 greatest player with the most annoying fans. So who's like, not the goat, but a top 10 greatest player of all time with the most annoying fans.
1: Oh, I don't know. Cause I, I was again, thinking Ronaldo or Messi cause I hate Ronaldo and Messi fans. I don't like the concept. I don't like the concept of supporting a player over a team. Yeah. And then with the whole, oh, Pessi, Ronaldo, oh, Ronaldo's better because he's got a Castrol GTX endorsement. Yeah, but Messi's better because he has seven pairs of... Who cares? they just... Well, that was the first one my had. What What about you? If you if are saying not the GOAT, then, who's your choice?
0: Again, it's it's very different in football compared to basketball, I guess, where we don't overtly support single players, do we? It's always... If they're attached to a team, obviously you can yeah. appreciate players like Ronaldo and Messi for what they do on a football pitch because most can't do what they do. Uh, hmm. But I, I, I honestly can't think of an answer for a, a single player who's got the most annoying fans. Yeah, yeah, it's,
1: it's it's just again, it's it's the echo chamber of Twitter. It Just makes everything worse, don't it?
0: It does. Uh, number six, Michael Jordan, the other player considered the best. Well, there's a few candidates in this one. If we are if we are saying Ronaldo and Messi are the goats. Those two, one of those two. It's me- it's messy, in my opinion. Who are you picking?
1: Uh, I'd go for Messi over Ronaldo, definitely. Then you're um, talking
0: about you're talking about Pele is in there, obviously Maradona. Uh, Cruyff.
1: when Cruyff. you said Cruyff? Oh
0: yeah, Cruyff. Um, Eric Abidal. Um, yeah. Beckenbauer. Beckenbauer, obviously, yeah, taking things forward like Prime Mike Williamson did. Um, I'd I'd
1: go for Cruyff, you know, uh, obviously. Messi, incredible. I, I think it'll be a long time before people our age see anything like that again. And people talk about, you know, how Pele and Maradona were in their pomp, but just for the kind of ripples that they left, Cruyff changed the way football is played completely. And like we said, Rinus Michels brought in total football, but Cruyff was the kind of poster boy and he's got the Cruyff turn for God's sake. He was, he's one of those players that when he died, my mum doesn't really care for football. But when Johan Cruyff died, she went, oh, Johan Cruyff's died. And I was like, you know, Johan Cruyff, mum? And she was like, oh, yeah, of course. And I was like,
0: oh, fair dues, yeah. She wraps out that classic Holland shirt. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, she cut her hair into like a kind of like Luke Skywalker hairdo. She had a nice little medallion on, waving an Ajax scarf around her head.
0: <laughs> but I think we've covered all the bases there in terms of the next the next. Not even the next category. There will be people out there who think that the players that we just mentioned there are the best of all time, but obviously we're a bit too young to truly appreciate them, I guess. We're, just, we're going off folklore, folk aren't we?
1: Yeah. But uh, yeah, thank you, Roland, and uh, up the Boston Celtics.
0: Yeah, he finished the email there. Thank you for your time. Love what you're doing and keep at it. Uh, and if you enjoyed yourself, I have more with basketball or NFL. Surprising or not, I'm learning a lot with your podcast, even if I don't know what, what or who you are talking about at first, which is nice to hear. <laughs> There we go. Up the rolling. We end with the, the Roberto Milbagi was saying, Hi, lads. Re- recently, Clive mentioned his allegiance to Liverpool over England, and he's not the first Liverpool supporter who I've heard say such a thing. I find the concept baffling. I'm 100% in favour of country over club, and if it was, a deci- uh, and if it was between an Australian-Asian Cup slash English Euros or a West Ham FA Cup, excuse me, I'd take the international win every day. The notability and lack of monetary influence in comparisons to the cup game means I value international tournaments more, even if I do adore my Emmers, which is the West Ham way of saying hammers. Uh, where do you two lay, and why is your re- reasoning emotional or logical? Would you pick an England World Cup win over Newcastle slash Liverpool Champions League win? That's from Kip in Canberra. Up the Canberra.
1: Up the Canberra. Am I going? Do you, do you want me to go first?
0: Do you want me to say it? Because obviously I, I, I paid thousands of pounds over a couple of years spell to go and watch England away from home at down at Wembley, which is no easy thing to get to from Newcastle upon Tyne. I'd still yeah. rather see Newcastle win a Champions League. Yeah. That that there was a big disconnect by the England National It still is largely there. But after the new Wembley got built that disconnect of the English national team. Because when the new Wembley was getting constructed, they would take every single game around the country. There was a couple of St. James's Park, you had Old Trafford, you had Anfield, even though the People's Republic doesn't like England. You had them everywhere. You had a Villa Park, all around the country. And that for me really worked as a concept for making you feel like the national team was like, you know, playing for you when you saw them playing at St. James's Park for me. So when it went back to every single home game being at Wembley, just about. There was a big disconnect for me there. And even when I was going down, it still felt like there was a big disconnect. Don't get me wrong, Gareth Southgate, as I said at the start of the podcast, he's done a lot to repair that. And I do feel like the English national team is something that, you know, I can is relate to the right word. I don't know. But mm. that's saying that Newcastle's the bread and butter. It's, you know, you walk around the city and you, no matter where you walk, you see something to do with the football club. Um, in and around the city, so I, it, it's it's that's that's it's club over country for me every time.
1: Oh, 100%. percent. I'd I'd pick Liverpool to win three points in a midweek mid-season Premier game than an England <laughs> World Cup. Um, and that's this again. Is this isn't, like I I don't want England to lose. I don't hate England. I just I, I don't support them. It's f- for many reasons, like. Like Liverpool and my team, it's like you said, it's the kind of local community aspect of it, whatever is left of that. But like our manager is German. Our biggest and most important player is an Egyptian Muslim. And for me personally, my family historically are from all over the place. My dad was born in Germany. His side of the family are Welsh. My mum's side of the family are from the Dingle in Liverpool, but originally branch of her side of the family are from Denmark. So... The idea of Englishness doesn't really, like I lived in Canada for a few years. I, I don't really, I'm not arsed. I'm, I'm privileged obviously to have grown up in England in all right conditions, but, and it's the other side of it as well. I can't stand Kyle Walker. I can't stand Harry Kane. I can't stand Man United to Harry Maguire 355 days a year. I'm not suddenly going to start being like, come on, our boys and internationals especially if there's no Liverpool players in the squad and doubly so if there are Liverpool players in the same tournament for different nations. So last night, if I was given the choice of cheering on Harry Maguire or cheering on Liverpool's Andy Robertson, I'm going to hope that Robertson has a good game because I want his form to continue.
0: But what about the historical battles between the English and the Scots?
1: (laughs) Yes, of course. (laughs) Yeah, well, let me tell you, Ooh, that William Wallace let me say. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but what do you like like during a you know qualifiers are one thing because you know the way they do qualifiers now it just feels like every si- we're going through the motions when the qualifiers because it hmm. is just England should beat every single team maybe apart from Italy that's been quite interesting this time but England should beat just about every single team they're in a qualifying group with that's just the way it's structured i don't agree with it it should be more exciting than it is. Um yeah. but how do you feel when you get round to a major tournament though do you not get caught up in it a bit?
1: No, well, I get caught up in the tournament, like especially the World Cup, because obviously you and I spoke at length before the last World Cup. that I hated the fact it wasn't in summer because it's I love the World Cup, but it's almost weird because I kind of go into it as a neutral. I don't care who wins. I don't care who goes through. I just hope no Liverpool players make a tit out of themselves. I hope no one gets any bad injuries. I just like the atmosphere of it. And for me, it's usually those weird games where on paper it looks a bit crap, but you know, be a bell, be like, oh, two o'clock today, cancel your plans. It's a rack versus Cameroon, and you know it's going to be amazing. It's seeing stuff like that, um, and it's the other side of it as well. And obviously, football's for everyone. It's fine. You can watch football, love it to heart's content. But it's when you do get not the bandwagoners but the people who just watched the tournaments and like, come on England and I'm like, that's all very well and especially with the women's World Cup, please support them afterwards because that's the only way the game's gonna grow for the women's side rather than the men's yeah, yeah. but when you when you're seeing all these Johnny come lately he's just jumping in on it, it's like no this this, this is a, this is our party let let us have fun with it kind of thing again it's for everyone but. I do love the World Cup. The Euros less so for some reason, but I I nearly swore again. I love a proper summer World Cup.
0: Euros look forward to next summer in Germany. There we go. Then Mm. that was the Roberto Mailbagio. Get yours in to Ross at holdandgive.com. Just, yeah, get them in there. More the merrier. I love a hard mailbag, if that makes sense, where you're struggling to pick a three because there's that many good submissions. And we had that this week. We had like eight or nine. So thank you very much to everyone who uh, emailed in. Keep that up right then. So that's the end of the podcast. I've been Ross, joined by Jack Atkins. I'm sure that the title will be something to do with Gareth Southgate, or Harry Maguire, one of the two. We'll try and come up with that after we're finished. <laughs> I'm, I'm messing up an outro once again, Jack Atkins. Any closing remarks before we go away?
1: Uh, I've been holding in a piss since laughing at that opinion" comment <laughs> from before. So
0: <laughs> Enjoy just, your piss. Okay.
1: But yeah, my head's just saying, please don't piss yourself on camera again. So it's fine. Again? I've probably done it at some point. All nice. right,
0: I thought there was documented footage there of you just getting a wet groin. Anyway, with the thought of Jack Atkins's wet groin, fresh in your mind, it's time to end the podcast. I've been Ross, joined by Jack Atkins, and we'll see you next Wednesday, sometime in the afternoon BST time. Depends mm, on lovely. the export time, mate. Huh? Takes a while, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>